Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Hello, everybody. It is A's Cast Live, and what a show we have for you today. Ramon Laureano, center fielder for your Oakland Athletics, is going to join us at 1.15. We're going to remember Jackie Robinson because today is Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball, and we'll do it with a man who is a historian. Marty Lurie has had an unbelievable career and knows more about the history of baseball, and I can tell you, uh, and you're, you're going to hear in an interview later on today with Vita Blue, they narrate Vita Blue and Marty Lurie a piece, this film, that's in the Negro League Museum. And we're going to talk to Marty Lurie about that coming up here at 1.30. Dave Van Horn, we're starting the NL East. He's a Ford C. Frick Award winner. Former radio partner of Alan Bernstein, the great Roxy Bernstein. We're going to cover the Marlins today. See what's going on with the fish in a very tough NLE. So we've done the West. We've done the Central. Now we're hitting the NL East. Then once we get done with the NL East, our buddy Kevin Franzen from the Phillies will join us, former San Jose State Spartan, will join us on Friday. We'll then go from East back to West. We'll go AL East, AL Central, and, of course, we'll end with our own division, the AL West. So Dave Van Horn at 2 o'clock. It's Wednesday. It's a Fosse day, the face of the franchise at 2.30. And then, of course, we're getting you ready for Friday night, game two of the 1972 World Series, the Hares versus the Squares, the Big Red Machine versus the Green and Gold. It's going to be awesome. 8 o'clock, NBC Sports California. But before you go to the tube, you got to get on Ace Cast because 
Ken Korak and I will be doing a pregame show from 7 to 8 o'clock. We'll have our normal show, A's Cast Live, on Friday from 1 to 4. And then you check out Ken and I here on A's Cast from 7 to 8. And then go watch the game on NBC Sports California. Going to be a lot of fun. Game two of the 1972 World Series. Where were you, Commander Cody, for game two of the 1972 World Series? I was, what, negative 16 years old, I think, by then. My parent, my, I mean, geez, my mom would have been six years old when that game was going on. You were just being born. I I was born in March. I was, my birthday is March 15th, so I wasn't even a year old. Yeah, so you, you remember it probably better than I would. Uh, barely. Uh, yeah, I, don't, uh, I don't, I don't remember, uh, sit in front of the uh, tube. Uh, I haven't seen it, but we're going to see it now. And I can't wait. Going to keep score. Going to treat this like a regular game. It's going to be a lot of fun. So the voice of the A's, you know, the A's have had some great voices. We got Ken and Vince now. Fantastic. You know, Bill King, Lon Simmons. But the guy who presided over the greatest era of A's baseball, really when I think of the voice of the A's, that's Monty Moore. Monty was there. Not only did Monty Moore do these games, he did these games on television on NBC. I mean, you have millions upon millions of people. You only had three options back in those days. There was no cable. Millions of people were watching the World Series on television, and Monty Moore was a part of the broadcast. Monty Moore broadcasted three straight World Series victories for the Oakland Athletics. He's 90 years old. He's going to join us today at 3 o'clock. And let me tell you, we taped the interview earlier today. Monty Moore can still bring it. And you're going to get an insight of what it was like with Charlie Finley, You're going to get an insight with the players, what it was like to be on national television. I asked him about it all. Cody, how long was the interview? It's like 17 minutes? Yeah, like 17, 18 minutes. But, you know, Monty, for being 90 years old, didn't miss a beat. brought it. Brought it, knew everything. The Charlie Finley story is great. Well, both of them. The both stories he told about Charlie are great. I mean, that's the one thing we talked about with everyone we've talked to so far is the common enemy, Charlie Finley, which is great to to, to learn about because, you know, you know, I was a kid, or I wasn't even born, but, I, you know, as a kid and growing up, I, I didn't know how much uh, everyone had a little disdain for the uh, owner slash GM. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what did Raleigh Fingers, Raleigh Fingers told us on Monday? That his first contract negotiations with Charlie went so bad, he got an agent and then never talked to Charlie again. I I mean, it's the, the story, the dysfunction that was around this, brilliant team it uh it's crazy and on friday so we we also today taped joe rudy that you're going to hear on friday that he will tell you that charlie finley was brilliant he was not a good guy but he was brilliant and look at the the team he assembled from kansas city to, to oakland and we'll get into a little Charlie Finley with a guy who's an absolute star. During his time, he was one of the biggest names in the game. He's a three-time World Series champion. The great Vita Blue is going to join us at 3.30. So you got Fossey at 2.30, Monty Moore at 3, and Vita at 
That is what's called a lineup. And Vita, we'll talk about Jackie Robinson. And this is a day where if we were playing, everybody would be wearing number 42 to honor the legend of Jackie Robinson. He was a four-sports star at UCLA. I think we've all seen the movie 42. We know what he went through. And I think you need to realize about Jackie Robinson that Jackie breaking the color barrier changed this country. Just not baseball. That's why I advise you, if you're ever going to be in Kansas City, not only is the barbecue unbelievable, there's three places I want you to go. Number one is the Negro League Museum. Number two, and they're basically in the same complex, is the Jazz Museum. I'll never forget I walked up and this really nice Midwest young lady said, well, it's $8, but if you want to go in over to the Jazz Museum, it's it's 15 I'm like, for 15, 15 bucks, I can do both? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she looked at me, Cody, like, I'm sorry, but it'd be 15 I'm like, 15 Obviously, you don't see my bar tabs when I'm on the road. 15 bucks, you kidding me? So you go into the Negro League Museum. Oh, and the third place you got to go in Kansas City is the World War I Museum. Wow. You want to talk about heavy? Because when we're in school or when I was in school, Cody, I don't know about you, uh, the really focus was on World War II and then after that. Not much about World War I. World War I was the deadliest war ever. More people died in World War I. Everybody was in it. And it's crazy. There were, there, were, there were guys still rolling around in the beginning on horses with swords going up against machine guns. I mean, it, it, it's, it's sad. I mean, it is. And it's heavy, man, when you go through there. But it's considered one of the top ten museums in the United States of America. So go to the Negro League Museum the Jazz Museum, and the World War I Museum when you're in Kansas City. And you're going to love the ball, the barbecue. Anyway, anyway, I, I, Kansas City, for me, I have a lot of fun when I go there. It's a, it's a, it's a really cool town. But going through the, the Negro League Museum, you learn that the military wasn't even integrated yet. They were still keeping white soldiers and African-American soldiers away from each other. It was Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier that changed so much and the sacrifice that he had to make. And Branch Rickey saying, listen, they're going to say everything. Every name in the book is going to be thrown at you and you can't respond. you got to be bigger than it because what you're doing is going to change baseball. In reality, what he was doing, he was changing the United States of America. That's that that's that's how big a force Jackie Robinson was. And let me tell you something, as a player, he played 10 years. That's it. He didn't come up till he was 28. And Jackie Robinson still had a 61.7 war. That is legit. He had a career 311 batting average. He had a career 883 OPS. His OPS plus was 132. 
led the league in stolen bases, was rookie of the year, was an MVP. Is this is this a good season? Hitting 342 with 16 jacks, 124 RBIs, 37 stolen bases with a 960 OPS at the age of 30. Is that any good, Cody? Uh, that'd be Hall of Fame caliber, especially that he was 30 or his third full season in Major League Baseball. Uh, that's incredible. And some of the things I went back and watched again today were highlights of him. He stole home 20 times in his career. 20 times yeah, he stole home. In a 10-year career, he stole home 20 times. I actually, I, if you want to hear it, I actually pulled one of the highlights where he steals home uh, against the Yankees in the 55-World Series. Here, let's, let's listen to that. With pinch batter Frank Keller did bat. Robinson dashes to the plate. It's close, and umpire Summers calls him safe on the daring maneuver. But Yogi Berra doesn't think so. So, yeah, there's just some of uh, one of Jackie's wow, highlights of stealing home in the World Series. <laughs> uh, how about a little excitement in, in the broadcaster? Jesus. Yeah, well, I just stole home in the World Series, and that's all you got? Well, I also have a couple. I have another one, too. I've, uh, he had a home run off Whitey Ford in the 56 World Series. Let's see if they get a little more excited for this one. In the last half of the second inning, Robinson gets the first hit off Ford. It's a homer into the left field stand. Oh, oh, there's that. And then there's one other one. It's a walk-off that Jackie had, also in the 1956 World Series. Let's take a listen to this one. Robinson, after a foul and a ball, flashes a drive to left. The leap by Slaughter is in vain. Gilliam comes home in the single with a run, which wins for the Dodgers one to nothing. And there you go. So there's uh, three highlights I found of Jackie playing in the 55 World Series where he steals home, and then a home run off the chairman of the board, and he's walk- one of his walk-off hits in the 56 World Series versus the Yankees. So a World Series champion in 1955, a six-time All-Star, National League MVP, Rookie of the Year, National League batting champion, two-time NL stolen base leader, and, of course, his number is retired, number 42, all-around baseball. And Mariano Rivera, I believe, he'll be the last guy ever to wear it, right? No one else has it? Yeah, because when they retired the jersey, Mariano was the only guy still wearing the number. I found and out he, today. And Mariano Rivera, right? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> the first unanimous, play, first unanimous player ever in the Hall of Fame. I, I found out today that Griffey was uh, actually the guy, was the first guy to you know think of the idea of well, all players should wear number 42. He actually talked, you know, he tried to – to have it done twice. He did it in 97 with the, the Mariners. He changed his number from 24 to 42. He just flipped the numbers. And then he did it, I, I believe, again 10 years later. I think he was still at the Reds, uh, but he did it twice. So Griffey's uh, known as the first guy. I saw the story today. First guy for uh, wanting to switch uh, every player wear number 42. So MLB Network's been playing a lot, of old, uh, a lot of old games on Jackie Robinson Day, which is today. And they're, they're, I think earlier they had um, – uh, they had Pirates, Pirates, Cardinal, Pirates, Cubs on. They had Dodgers, Mets on earlier. One like it was a '97 when Bud Selig announced that it would be Jackie Robinson Day, and that was the game being played at Shea Stadium. So it was Dodgers, Mets. So there's a lot of stuff going on at MLB.com and MLB Network and YouTube, and if you want to check out some stuff from Jackie Robinson Day throughout the years. And a little, uh, a little note for my family history. Jackie Robinson in his very first at bat in Major League Baseball was against the Boston Braves, and he grounded out to my grandfather 5-3. How about that? 
And if you ever watch the movie 42, you'll see my grandfather's name in the lineup for the Boston Braves. I, I, I just That's just amazing to me. Like, my grandfather was a part of the history of Jackie Robinson. Unbelievable. We'll actually talk a little about my grandfather today because they came out with the top, top five third baseman in Major League Baseball for each team. And my grandfather made the list for the Braves and also was on the list with the Pittsburgh Pirates, two of the, the stops for my grandfather, the 1947 most valuable player uh, in the same year Jackie Robinson came up. Earlier today, you know, a, a lot of players, I, I, I can tell, these guys are just itching. Man, we're all itching. But they know their value in the community. And we talked to Liam Hendricks about providing lunches. And now Ramon Laureano is doing the same thing. You know, we have these people who are putting their lives on the line. First responders put their lives on the line every single day, whether, whether we have a virus or not. Police officers, firefighters, people in hospitals. They put their lives on the line every day. It's not like our job where we go to the ballpark and watch a baseball game and get paid for it. You know, police officers, my God, every single day. It's a blessing for when they come home and they get to retirement. But right now, it's a, a great mental thing to know that someone like Ramon Laureano of the Oakland A's is providing you lunch as a caregiver and people on the front lines. And the fact that he's doing it shows you the big heart and how much he cares. Here is my conversation earlier today with your center fielder. Well, one thing that we've been doing here on A's Cast Live is bringing on familiar voices because we know you A's fans, you, you like hearing voices that, that you know and you love. And Ramon, thank you so much for taking the time Ramon Laureano is with us here on Ace Cast Live. How have you been? I've been good. Uh, just hanging out, uh, working out, and just waiting for uh, a day to start baseball. Uh, going crazy at the house. Yeah, I think everybody uh, is feeling that way. But but the first responders, yeah. I know, are so important to all of us, the people who are on the front lines fighting this virus. And you're reaching out to help people at Kaiser Permanente and also the Oakland Fire Department, helping to provide lunches. What does that mean to you to reach out to the city of Oakland and the first responders and to let them know, as someone like yourself, a great baseball player, it means a lot that these people are really the true heroes? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's something uh, I have always dreamed of, helping people in any way that I can. It, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to do about it, be a, have a money you know but uh trying to find a way to just help him then and i know they're going through a tough time they're pretty they're heroes now and uh and just wanted to give back a little something to to appreciate them for all the help that they have done and they, and they continue to do right now yeah because you know when that lunch shows up there's got to be something that really warms their heart when they know that someone like yourself is reaching out and showing that you care because I'm sure there's a lot of dark moments for them, a lot of tough yeah. moments, and when they get that lunch, they know that people like yourself are thinking of them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm all. I'm always thinking uh, of those people that help, you know, us human beings, and uh, I know they go through tough times. They've been going through tough times lately, of course, more than ever, and uh, 
yeah, just try to give something back and really appreciate their their work and their passion to do it. Yeah, because I got to think that, you know, for us, when we show up to the ballpark, we're not worried that we're risking our lives. You know, we're very blessed. Correct, yeah. yeah, we're very blessed to work in Major League Baseball and to show up to the yard and this great game that's given so much to your family, to my family, and to think that when they're going to work, that that's a pressure situation that a lot of us will never have to deal with because this is a virus that you can't see. You don't know mm-hmm. exactly who has it at all times. Their working situation is definitely far different than ours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something that, uh, I mean, just like I told my cousin, he's a doctor in Dallas, and uh, I'm like, hey, bro, you're a hero now, you know? You're uh, you're helping all these, they're helping all these people. Uh, it's something that, I mean, a lot of a lot of doctors, you know, have gotten the virus, a lot of fighter fighters, a lot of uh, nurses, and all those people that put their life on the line for us and uh and it's just you know it's emotional it's something pretty pretty it's just they're heroes i mean there's nothing else to say they're pretty much heroes right now yeah i really appreciate their work now that we don't have baseball i know we all miss it so much what does that do how much more do you love this sport now since uh, we're not able to play it right now yeah I, i i mean it's just tell you how to appreciate every single moment that you get when you step on the field. Appreciate uh, every single second you get with your teammates, your coaches, and everybody around the umpires, the the medical staff, the strength conditioning staff, and the clubhouse guys. You just really appreciate like their job, appreciate uh, the memories that you make with them, the jokes and all that stuff. Uh, is uh, it, it helps you reflect a little bit more on you know the sport and all the moments that you get with them and uh yeah i would have never imagined my life without baseball so uh it's a little different i get down a little sometimes but uh gotta keep you know the head up and people are going through worse times so uh just just bless what where i'm at right now and praying for those guys for the for the people that are not having a good time right now at this moment you know this off season there's been a lot of people have looked at you as like a budding star, as a guy that's going to really change his game and take it to the next level. What is it like for you? I don't know if you got to see it, but what is it like for you to get national recognition? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I still I haven't seen it, to be honest. Maybe a little bit, but I don't feel like it's a big deal. But uh, but uh, I'm just nowhere I want to be, so I just got to continue to get better and continue to uh, – help my the team win a championship and that's all I really care right now. And obviously individually just continue to just get better every day and uh and really don't have a end line just to just keep going, keep going so until I can hold up. You know, I like how you mentioned championship because I, I fully agree with you. I think at this point for the A's once this thing gets going again is not yeah. talking about division, not talking about playoffs. The goal has to be to win it all. That's how talented yes. you guys really are. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we feel obviously the front office has worked for the 2020 season and the 2021 season. The, I mean, the 2020 season beyond. And uh, we have a really good team overall. We're very happy. We know we can do it. We work hard for it. I mean, I know everybody works hard for any other team to win a World Series, but uh, 
I feel like we we really do. We have the the complete package. I, I feel like we do, and uh, we have the chemistry. We have we have everything, and we just gotta show up and play, win a bunch of games, and finish with the ring at the end. And uh, and then people are gonna start talking about that we just play half of the season. But then we're gonna come up the next year too, and then we're gonna win it again. And then that's what I uh, that's what I'm thinking right now. I I absolutely love it, and then right now. Starting Friday, we're going to honor the 72, 73, and 74 teams by playing their games. And, of course, the A's won three straight World Series back then, and they're, they're just two franchises have ever done that. That's the Yankees and the Athletics. And I want to talk about your game because when I watch you play, I, I, I see you as a guy with, like, a football mentality. You bring it every single day. You come to win. You come to, you come to compete. And I think you come to kick people's ass, and, and I really like that. And the one thing, when you get out of the box, you get a base hit, right, whether it's right center or left center, you're rounded first, and you're you're going to challenge the outfielder and make them have to make a good throw to second base. And, and not everybody does that. It's the hustle. It's the fire. Tell us your mentality, what it's like when you come to the ballpark every single day. Yeah, just coming to the ballpark, I just want to – I just want to – I feel like it's a fight, you know, like it's – it's like a UFC fight, and I'm just trying to you know, just beat the heck out of uh, anybody on the other side. But uh, at the same time, I just kind of like have it that I I have made in uh, in high, in college. You know, just be aggressive, uh, try to get to the other base, base, get an extra base, and I put put pressure on the defense. I know if you put pressure on my defense, I know it's gonna be I'm gonna rush it a little bit and hesitate, and maybe I won't have the accuracy to throw to throw where I want to throw it. Same thing with the with the opposite, you know? So I just try to put as much pressure as I can. And, uh, <clears throat> and yeah, pretty much that's it. I know good things might happen if I put pressure on the, on the, on the other team defensively. And uh, that's how I have always treated, treated like that. Well, the past couple of years, you've had some of the greatest throws that, that, that I've ever seen in my career, and I've been around for a while. You, you know, you got the great arm, but you also have the accuracy. What do you do off-season, during the season, to stay sharp with that accuracy with your arm? Uh, I, well, I have normal throwing program like everybody else, but uh, I uh, I just play, play a little game like Target targeting something in my whoever I'm throwing it to, like their, for example, like I'm gonna throw it to his head now, and like obviously he's gonna catch. It. I'm just like targeting whatever else I want, or maybe uh, I'm gonna target his glove, whatever his glove. Uh, maybe his uh, right shoulder, his left shoulder, and I just play catch and I try to be like a quarterback, you know, try to just like react. Like I look, I'm looking to the left, and then as soon as I look up. My uh, my partner, I just throw it where I wanted to throw, but like kind of reaction time, you know. Kind of, I've been playing there for like four years now, three years since 2017, and and it has worked. Uh, it's been pretty good, to be honest with you. Telling you, it's like a, it's like a little game. I have fun with it. Oh, that's awesome! All right, so since since you've been uh, indoors a lot, not been able to do a whole heck of a lot. What have you been deep diving? What what kind of show? What, what what's been keeping you occupied? Occupy uh, HBO Boardwalk. That's what I uh, 
I've been locked in on that and we're almost finishing it. And uh and yeah, just playing a lot of MLB the show game. Rich, do you play do you play the A's? Yeah, I have a I have the A's franchise. Like that's what I'm playing it right now. But I play more online. I play more uh, online games. All right, what's it like playing yourself in a video game? Uh, it's cool. I mean, hey, it's cool. It's pretty, pretty cool. You dream about it when you, as a little kid. So it's something pretty cool. But uh, I'm not playing that myself that much. So, <laughs> but sometimes. Yeah, because I've, I I've, do- I've always wondered if you're going to play yourself. Do you go? Wait a minute, I'm better than this. They didn't do me. They they did me wrong here. I see my overall rating, and I'm like, I need to get better. Like, that's how I treat it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you so much for what you're doing for the people on the front lines. It means a lot to them, I can guarantee you, and it shows you got a big heart. And uh, cannot wait to get this thing going again and watching you play center field for the Oakland Athletics. So thank you for everything you're doing. Be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thanks, Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Be safe. Ramon Laureano. He's a good dude, and he is, it's a great cause what he's doing providing these lunches. Coming up next, we're going to talk about Jackie Robinson with Marty Lurie right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Chevron. Let's talk a little bit about Chevron. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The the safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. Today is Jackie Robinson Day, and we're going to talk to Marty Lurie, who I've always looked at Marty Lurie as someone who is a terrific baseball historian. Uh, You talk about whether it's big league baseball, if it's the Pacific Coast League, Marty knows more than anybody, and he joins us right now. Marty, how have you been? Chris, terrific. Thanks for having me on. A pleasure. How are you? I, I'm doing well, and I and and Vita Blue is going to be on later. And I told him this story. It was two years ago. I was in Kansas City, and I was I, I was at the Negro League Museum, and I'm walking around, and next thing you know, I hear Vita's voice, and then I hear your voice, and I'm like, wait a minute, I know those guys. And I remember I texted you. I'm like, Marty, I'm I'm sitting here watching this video that you narrated. I, I know this is a big thing for your career, and of course. We're, we're honoring Jackie Robinson today. Uh, tell us what you did with Vida at the Negro League Museum. Well, I'd be glad to. Uh, it involved Lester Rodney. And the, uh, the movie that you saw is called The Crime of the Big Leagues. Lester Rodney was a very instrumental person in the integration of baseball. He goes back to the late 1930s, lived in New York, and there was very tough times in uh, the country at that point, very similar to what we're having now economically. And uh, people were involved with isms, and one was communism. And Lester Rodney was a great baseball fan, a sports fan. 
He had seen the 1920 World Series between the Cleveland Indians and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he looked at the uh, Daily Worker, the paper, and saw that it had a sports section. And he didn't like it. He said, this is awful. And he wrote a letter to the editor of the Daily Worker, which is a communist paper, and said, your sports section stinks. And they said, really? Well, how would you like to be the sports editor? And he said, terrific. So from about 1937, 38, right up until the time he went in the service uh, in 1941, he was the leading voice in this country for the integration of baseball. And he would take on Judge Landis and he'd say, Judge Landis, can you see? Judge Landis, can you hear? And the Negro Leagues are out drawing many of the organized baseball teams uh, around the Northeast and around the Midwest. And Lester Rodney would write article after article after article challenging baseball to integrate. He got certain managers in baseball, certain owners to agree with him. But Judge Landis was the tyrant. And the agreement was, the gentleman's agreement, he always said, oh, well, we, we don't hold anything against anybody. But Judge Landis was the one who kept baseball segregated. So Lester Rodney's story is critical in the integration of baseball. He was the first. And 1944, Judge Landis dies in November. 1945, this summer, Lester Rodney's still in the service. He gets a telegram, and it says, Lester, you finally did it, because Branch Rickey had signed Jackie Robinson that summer to a Montreal Royals International League contract. So he got lost in the shuffle because then everyone became part of the integration of baseball and columns are written. But Lester was the first one to do it, and he did it in The Daily Worker. So the movie you saw, The Crime of the Big Leagues, is the Lester Rodney story. And the biggest honor I got was I am the voice of Lester Rodney in the, in the movie. And Vida is the voice of Satchel Paige in the movie. It's a fabulous movie. Uh, you probably can go online and find it, but it is a featured movie at the Negro League Museum. And that's the story of Lester Rodney. He lived in the Bay Area uh, in the last part of his life. I got to meet him. I spent two, three hours with him. I heard his whole story. There's a book out about him called Press Box Red, R-E-D, by Irwin Silber, S-I-L-B-E-R. And it's the Lester Rodney story. And Chris, I'm very proud and honored that you asked me that question today. I know it's a long answer, but that's who Lester Rodney was, a very special man. As Campy told Lester, Roy Campanella told Lester, Lester, we never would have had Brown versus the Board of Education. We never would have gotten all these things done without Jackie. And you were the one, you were the first to push for the integration of baseball. Yeah, you learned so much at the Negro League Museum. Like, I didn't know that the military hadn't integrated yet. It was, I mean, it's really right. what Jackie Robinson did. Forget just baseball. He, he changed the country. No, no question. And I, Truman didn't integrate uh, the military until 1948. Uh, things were happening after World War II. There were laws passed in New York outlawing uh, discrimination. And Branch Rickey saw the handwriting on the wall, and he saw that uh, this great source of talent was out there. The Yankees wouldn't have any part of it, 
Horace Stoneham got involved about a year later when he signed Monty Irvin and Hank Thompson and people like that. But uh, for Branch Rickey, he saw that the direction the country was going in, and that's when he sent Clyde Sukaforth out to scout Jackie Robinson, allegedly for the Brooklyn Brown Bombers. And uh, Jackie was the guy he chose. Monty Irvin should have been the first, but World War II uh, intervened, and Monty was not ready at the end of World War II. Monty Irvin was probably the greatest player in the late 30s. But Jackie, a UCLA man, a military man, he was court-martialed for not wanting to sit in the back of the bus. Uh, he could speak. And the most important thing is, Chris, and you know your grandfather, Bob Elliott, was part of the first game that Jackie ever played. Uh, Dodgers against the Boston Braves and your grandfather MVP of the National League and uh, Jackie was one who could turn the other cheek and the movie 42 is true uh, Ben Chapman and others uh, harassed him his own teammates harassed him but he was strong enough to turn the other cheek and he had Rachel Robinson lovely Rachel still with us thank God uh, as his support and we never would have had the progress after World War II without Jackie and what he did for the country, for African-Americans, for Latins, for anyone who was other than the white ball player, Jackie set the stage and he did it and he was successful. And if he wasn't successful, who knows what would have happened. Yeah. And that game, that very first game, Jackie Robinson and his very first at bat grounded out to my grandfather. Yep, your grandfather, Bob Elliott, and I, I always tell the people that story, Chris, whenever I'm on with you or mention you, that your granddad, Bob Elliott, a very famous player in the late 40s, MVP of the National League, a star for the San Diego Padres of the PCL, a very important man in West Coast baseball history. You know, you mentioned the point that that is really a good one is that Jackie had to be successful. And when you go over his career numbers, he was a really good player, Marty. Well, he was, uh, he was unbelievable in 1949 when he didn't have to turn the other cheek. He, that's when he led the league and hitting, I believe it was an MVP. Um, Jackie, I saw some stat on Twitter today. Uh, over 100 RBI, 100 home runs, uh, 100 steals, and had more than twice as many walks as strikeouts in his career. And he's the only one to do that. So uh, he, he was the spark plug. And what he did was he brought Negro League Baseball to the National League. He didn't change his game. He just brought the game they played to the National League. And uh, of course, and then Willie Mays comes in 1950, who played for the Black Barons. And uh, Willie was a four-year veteran of the, of the Negro Leagues when he hit the big leagues. So, sure, when Willie got up to the big leagues, he was ready. He wasn't a kid. He was a man playing with men. And Jackie was that kind of player. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable American story. And, and, I, and I love that we honor him. But I think we need to honor more, you know, because a lot of people, you know, you think of like Larry Doby, you think of other people that, that went through the same things Jackie Robinson did. We need to do more than just honor Jackie. Would you agree with that? <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, every year on my show in uh, July 5th, 1947, is the anniversary of Larry Doby. You've just brought it up. 
uh, integrating the American League. Now, look, Jackie was April 15th. Larry Doby was July 5th. And Larry Doby was just a kid and walked into Cleveland. Nobody wanted to talk to him. His teammates turned their back on him. He got in maybe 20 at-bats the whole season. Then in 1948, they said, boy, you know, this kid can play. Let's put him in center field. The next thing you knew, uh, he was in the World Series with the Cleveland Indians, and they won the World Series with Larry Doby. But uh, I acknowledge Larry every year, July 5th, 1947, when he broke the color line in the American League. And how did that happen? Why Cleveland? Well, Bill Veck uh, owned the Cleveland Indians, and Bill Veck's good friend was Abe Saperstein who, of course, created the Harlem Globetrotters. Abe Saperstein also was an agent for many of the African-American players in the Negro Leagues. So he went to his best friend, Bill Veck, and said, Bill, I got a player for you. And Veck said, okay. And Veck was an innovative guy. He was a hero of World War II, a very famous person in baseball history. He said, okay. And that's how Larry Doby ended up with the Cleveland Indians, and that's how Satchel Paige ended up with the Cleveland Indians in 1948, going 6-1 and, and leading the Indians to the pennant, the playoff with the Red Sox, and into the World Series. And that's how Satchel Page became an Indian as well. We uh, had your buddy Vince Catronio on recently, and of course Vince is down there in Arizona just like you are. And I didn't realize that golf is considered an essential business not only in Arizona, but in Florida. And I'm like, wow, they're actually playing golf because, you know, we're on full lockdown here. We even had somebody today from Santa Clara County said it'll be a miracle if they can even start the football season in September. You're like, what? Are you serious? You're going to keep us locked down till September? What's it like in Arizona? And do you think this Arizona plan is going to work? Well, good question. Uh, number one, we don't have sort of the density that you have in the Bay area. And I believe me, I miss the Bay area very much. I miss my family up in the Bay area and seeing everybody. And I'm going to go up there, uh, not too distant future, but Arizona here, the weather's warm. Uh, the COVID-19, uh, amount of cases considering the population and not overwhelming. Uh, it's not considered a hot spot, so to speak. So, uh, things down here, I wear my mask outside. I wear gloves when I go out as well. <clears throat> but you'll see, you know, maybe 30% of the population not really adhering to that and kind of just going about their business. So they do so become socially distant, um, but it is a lot easier here than it is in the Bay Area. And I just hope that it continues that way for people in Arizona, that they're not kidding themselves. So the question, uh, Arizona and baseball, <clears throat> you know how hot it is here in the summer. It's 120 degrees, 115 degrees. It's very hard to consider it. But Dr. Fauci today said, well, if you did it correctly and you put the players in a biosphere in a hotel and tested them once a week and all that, well, maybe you could do it without fans. And once Dr. Fauci says it's possible, I think baseball basically gets the green light if they could put it together later in the summer. Now, why is it important? I think it's important for football to see how baseball does this. Baseball is sort of the guinea pig. If they can have games without fans and have it on TV and be able to protect the people that are involved in the games, then perhaps football 
can do the same thing because you know and I know it's going to be very difficult for crowds to come to any sort of sporting event probably through the next winter. Uh, I can't imagine until there's a vaccine, until the testing is widespread and things like that, that people are going to feel comfortable. So I think baseball will be in Arizona. I think Dr. Fauci is going to sanction it. And I think baseball is going to take a shot at trying to do it down here and play games early in the morning, play games later in the evening, use Chase Field and avoid the hot sun. But they're going to try to pull it off without fans. And football is going to watch this very, very, very carefully. And I think it's going to happen down here. I think I just don't think that we're going to go through the whole summer and have uh, baseball not be part of the landscape. I think they're going to take a shot at it. Yeah, it, it reminds me like of high school, right? We didn't have clubhouses. And everybody, you had your own car and you drive to the ballpark. You dress at home. Uh, you get to the ballpark. No one, but nobody goes into the dugout. All the players sit in the empty stands. Uh, you're not having much contact with each other. If you have to wear masks and gloves like they did in South Korea when they started practicing, when you start looking at the way baseballs are, are, you know, guys are really not next to each other anyway, you start to realize, okay, I mean, they they have tests now that only take 15 minutes. You could could actually test every day if you wanted to. I mean, there seems to be some light that, this might be able to happen in Arizona. And as you mentioned, the hot heat, play in the morning, play at night. I mean, what this would do, Marty, I mean, you love this game. I know how much you love baseball and what it means to you. And I just think that, you know, football is past baseball. Some people would say the NBA. But if I think baseball gets back on the field, gets on television, and how many people will watch it, even if you're not a baseball fan, you're going to watch it, it really could take its place once again as our national pastime. Well, I think so. Uh, Look, it's summertime. People are going to want to be out of their houses. People are going to want entertainment. Uh, So we're going to need something. Mike Trout said it today. He said, look, we can't just go from a hotel to the field and back to a hotel. It's not going to work. So we'll have to see whether the uh, guidelines are relaxed a little bit so you can be outside and have a little bit more families with you and things like that. Uh, I think baseball would be making a mistake if they restricted the players to saying, look, you're going to be in a hotel, you're going to go to the game, you're going to play, and then you're going back to your hotel, and that's the way it's going to be. That's not going to work. So we have to have some confidence with testing. And, Chris, you said it. I agree with it. Testing is the key to knowing who's got it, who doesn't have it, who's got an immunity and go from there until there is testing. I think that's the, that's the hangup. So I say we're going to have baseball. I don't think it's going to happen in a month. I don't think it's going to happen in two months, but I think once testing is more widespread, then I think it can happen. Cause look, the players don't want to just stay in a hotel the whole time. And you can't ask them to do that. You can't ask them to come off the field and sit in the stands six feet apart. What is a trainer going to say? Well, what is the coach going to say? Yeah, what's the catcher going to say to the pitcher? So we've got to have the confidence in the testing to know that people can get in a closer situation and not spread this disease. Testing is the key. Well, we know you're a baseball historian. What have you been looking at? What have you been investigating? What have you been doing uh, with your downtime? 
Well, good question. Well, I've been on the air once a week, uh, Saturday after KMBR does their replays. I've had Vince on with me. I had Ray Fossey on with me. I know he's on the show today with you. We did about 40 minutes together. Uh, Korak was on with me a couple of weeks ago. So what I'm doing is uh, just trying to look back at what is being put in the media by radio, by TV, on the Internet, and then trying to put a show together sort of complementing the things that are being talked about. But it's reading that, you know, I've got a beautiful baseball library that I read. I watch a lot of Turner Classic movies, uh, film noir, Eddie Muller, uh, a big baseball fan. I watch, uh, try to watch a movie every day. But basically, it's being on the Internet and connecting with people through Twitter, through Facebook, and trying to keep that baseball story alive. And look, and once we get over this issue of do we have games or don't we have games, then we've got to really you know, dig deep to get stories. Because if they, at some point, they're going to have to come up with an answer. And if that answer is in the negative, it's going to be tough to come up with stories for the rest of the summer. So I think the stories we're going to have will be positive and we'll be trying to work out how this scenario can happen. But it's not simple. Uh, but being in Arizona in the sunshine, uh, it feels a little bit like spring training still. Let's end on this. We're going to be celebrating the 72, 73, and 74 Oakland Athletics starting uh-huh. Friday night with game two of the World Series from 1972 Reds and Athletics. Uh, when you look back at that time and you think about that great era of baseball for the Oakland Athletics, what do you, what do you, it was a dysfunctional time. It was greatness with dysfunction. I mean, it, it really was wild. Charlie Finley and the players hated. I mean, it's just, what, what do you think about when you think about those great teams? They never beat themselves. Uh, and Chris, you've got uh, Ray coming on, you've got Vida coming on. When you look at the people who won during those years, and whether it's Catfish, Kenny Holtzman, Blue Moon, Vida, Gene Tennis, Mike Epstein, Dick Green, Sal Bando, Campy, uh, Ray Fossey, uh, Rick Monday, who was there just prior, of course, uh, Bill North, Joe Rudy. When I say those names, uh, and I say those names, what comes to my mind, they are exceptional people, and they were exceptional baseball players. So that team didn't hit a million home runs, but when the game was on the line, they had the right manager, and they didn't beat themselves, and Reggie was part of it as well. They've got Hall of Famers and Raleigh, but that team, Paul Lindblad and Daryl Knowles and uh, Dave Hamilton, Angel Mengual, you could just go up and down those three years. They were outstanding men in the future of their lives, and they were outstanding baseball players. They did not beat themselves, and that's what I take from 72, 3, and 4. They did not beat themselves. They, they just didn't make mistakes. And Dick Williams and Alvin Dark, uh, what a raise on. Ray will tell you. Uh, it's a fabulous story. Those three years, you're looking at one of the best teams in the history of the American League, without a doubt. Marty, always appreciate the time. Be safe down in Arizona, and we'll talk to you once we get this thing going. Anytime, Chris. You do a great job, and good luck with everything you do. Thank you, Marty. The great Marty Lurie.
Yeah, that's interesting. I think people can say and have opinions. But like earlier today, Cody, who who are we interviewing when my computer started going off? Was it Joe Rudy? I think it was Rudy. It's a good question, though. I'm trying to think. I think it was. I think it was Joe Rudy at the end. If not, it was Monty at the very, very end. So what happens is the way this works is we're on Google Hangouts, right? Isn't that what we're on? Uh, That is correct. So if anything pops up, any kind of notification, you're going to hear it. And today, so I th- they pop up on my computer and they pop up on my phone. It said the A's were supposed to play the Red Sox today at twelve twenty-seven. I mean, we're how how many how many games are we into the season right now? Uh, it'd be nineteen. Do you, do you want an update on the season real quick, or do you want to wait? No, we'll, we'll get to that. But my point is, wait till we hit mid-May. And I understand Mike Trout. I get it. I get a lot of these players are going to talk about wives and kids and girlfriends and, hey, we need to have a life too. But at some point, they're going to be itching. They're going to be itching to play, and they're going to be itching to get paid. So what what is said now in April may be different than what's said in May. And let, let's face it, life is a risk. Everybody working, Cody's fiance working in a hospital. If you're working at a grocery store, you're working in a restaurant, you're it's a risk, but people are willing to take the risk because they want to still get paid and have a life. I'm a I got a family restaurant in San Diego, and of course we have the restaurant in Walnut Creek, the chicken pie shop, and everybody's in the restaurants and everybody I mean they're you're taking a risk, but people want to work. So, you know, all the scientists and all the politicians and everybody can say every it's April. We've been on we've been down. When did we go to stay in place? Was that March 12th? It was I think it was either March 12th or March 15th. It's been a month. Either way, if it was March 15th, it was a well, month March ago. March 15th is when we closed down because I remember that. That so, was my birthday. Yeah. So it would have been a couple of days before that, that uh, Governor Newsom put the the shelter in place. And so, yeah, it's been over a month uh, at least. Because if not, then if it was the 15th and it's been a month exactly, but it's been at least a month that we've been in the shelter in place has been here. Yeah, let me give you an example. I talk about this. Cody, you've been to my house. I live across the street from a pretty big park. Would you confirm that, Commander? Confirm. Big park there where you live. I want to avoid yeah. the, the address or the location, but it is a uh, – in your 1% of your neighborhood, it is very nice. So there's three little league fields, there's tennis courts, there's basketball, there's there's horseshoes. They locked up the tennis courts because everybody was out there playing tennis, including yours truly. I'd go out there with my girls and we'd play tennis. They locked up the tennis courts. Well, guess what? Someone's already snipped the lock. So they locked up t- the, the lockup of the tennis courts in my neighborhood lasted days and someone went and. They snipped the lock, and uh, they're back playing tennis. This is April. You're talking this, I don't know, was it Bleacher Report where this thing came out? 
There was Bleacher Report. Yeah, Santa Clara County Executive says miracle will be required for the NFL season to start on time at Levi Stadium. Uh, last time I checked, the football season, not preseason, football season starts in September. Well, there was one uh, report that was out. Do you think you're going to lock up Californians for the entire summer? Well, there was one that came out. I think Barcel Sports had it on Twitter. Uh, someone said that they, they could see – it was a health expert, I think, in New York, saying that they could not see live sports resuming until fall of 2021. I'm like, the, the, come on. I mean, there's the different examples that are out there right now. No one knows what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing we do know. Their projections were way off, and they were way off in California. All right, coming up next, we're going to have a Ford C. Frick Award winner, one of the great play-by-play men, in baseball history, will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Now back to the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, let me tell you, this is going to be a real treat. As you know, we've been going around Major League Baseball and covering all the teams. We started with the NL West. We just completed the Central. We're now on to the East, and we're going to start with the Miami Marlins, and join us here, an absolute broadcast legend, a four-seed Frick Award winner, a Hall of Famer, Dave Van Horn. Dave, thank you for the time. We really appreciate it. It's good to be with you. I hope uh, things are going well for all of you and everybody's in good health and staying safe. Yeah, and you too, down, down in Florida. How are things in South Florida? Well, South Florida, as you know, has, uh, is an area that has a lot of elderly folks in uh, nursing homes and rehab centers and so forth. And so it's, it's been kind of tough on uh, that community. Uh, in general, uh, Florida is in pretty good shape overall. Uh, that having been said, there's still a lot of people have been lost to this virus and we're all saddened uh, by that, but uh, uh, we're getting through it and uh, following all of the guidelines set down by not just the federal government, but by Governor DeSantis here in Florida. Yeah, that, that, that is good news. And of course, we keep getting these reports. We don't know if everybody goes to Arizona. We don't know if they say, <laughs> okay, Arizona teams stay in Arizona, Florida teams stay in Florida. What are you hearing about Florida and potentially playing games at spring training sites? Of course, you got your guys' ballpark and you got the ballpark in that, in St. Petersburg. Well, I have, uh, of course, like you have, heard uh, several rumors going around about uh, possible play in both places, uh, a setup of new divisions, new leagues, uh, uh, one in Arizona, one in uh, Florida and uh, that they would uh, go ahead and play uh, whether they are with fans in the ballpark or not. They Once they get the green light to play, they go ahead and play. But, of course, to do that, they have to have spring training again. I don't know which one of those plans is the one that's going to uh, work out, uh, if either of them. I think there have been a lot of ideas thrown out there, but uh, I'm not hearing, at least here in Florida or reading – uh, the quotes from our people, like our president of baseball operations, Michael Hill, or from our CEO, Derek Jeter. I'm not reading uh, where anybody has a strong feeling one way or another to exactly how baseball will go about returning to play. 
you know, let's just uh, act like it is going to return. And we, okay. look the, we look at the Marlins. It's a very, very tough division. They're very young. But we've been talking a lot here on the program that in a shortened season, it's kind of anyone's ball game. Yeah, it is, uh, in, in some regards, a, a, a real toss-up. Uh, the Marlins are uh, in year three now of a rebuild. Uh, last year was a very difficult year, going 57 and 105 in the full season, of course. And they still went out and uh, further developed some of their farm system players. They went from three years ago, ranked last in Major League Baseball as far as farm systems were concerned, and they start, if this season does start, uh, they will start at number four. So they've made some terrific acquisitions through trades. They've done a terrific job the last couple of years in drafting, and now the farm system is finally loaded. Uh, Don't know that I should use that phrase, loaded, or that word, but uh, they are, compared to where they were uh, three, four years ago, they're loaded with young prospects now. So that having been said, the setback is, of course, we still don't know uh, when we're going to be able to play. And uh, it was probably the stages of spring training right where we were getting ready to shut down. We didn't know we were going to shut down, but where we were approaching that middle of March area, we could see what the club was going to do. So the top prospects would start the season in the minor leagues, but uh, they're on the fast track. And I'm sure by midsummer, we would have seen uh, several of these prospects come up to the big league level. And uh, that would have been a lot of fun because we got a good look at them in spring training. And, and it's fun to watch these youngsters. I, I saw it for years in Montreal when they developed a terrific farm system. And I'm seeing it here. Uh, what they've done in the last three years is just incredible. And to see these uh, young players on the verge of making it to the big leagues is uh, pretty exciting stuff. So that having been said, whether or not uh, they can compete in the National League East as we know it, um, I think they will be better. I don't know that they can compete uh, with the, the rest of the East division. It is a tough division, as you point out. Uh, but uh, they're going to be better and they're going to win more games. So continuity is always a really good thing. And Don Mattingly get a contract extension. How, how happy were you to see that? Very happy because, you know, when they, uh, three years ago, when they moved all of the top salaried players out, made all those trades and so forth, uh, Don Mattingly never used that as an excuse. He bought right into the program. He, he felt as the baseball people did, that they had to go back to ground zero because they had no farm system, didn't have any young players. All the good young players they had were at the major league level and making a lot of money. Meanwhile, with all that having been said, they were still not able to play 500 or better for eight or 10 years in a row, and they weren't drawing. So they decided to go back to square one, got rid of the the name players that you're familiar with, Stanton and the others, and uh, went with uh, this movement to do a better job in drafting and developing young players. So I, I think that's that's going to work in the long term. And Don bought into that program, and I was so happy to see him rewarded with that contract. Uh, 
so that he could continue because his heart is in it. And I'll say this. Last year, Chris, this this, uh, club lost 105 games. Of the 57 wins they posted, 28 were comeback wins. They played hard day in, day out, losing a ton of ball games along the way, but Mattingly and his staff, but it was, the pace and tempo was set by Don Mattingly. He kept them playing hard every day, every night, and uh, that's why they had so many comeback wins among the few victories they did have, 57 wins, 28 of them comeback wins. That's almost half of the wins. So uh, he did a terrific job in handling uh, the personnel that he had, and he was very excited to see this spring uh, the number of young players that are looking so good. So, yes, we're all happy for Don. And, oh, by the way, this is the first year that Don is eligible uh, for the Veterans Committee vote. Uh, so there is uh, that uh, coming up uh, during the course of this year, somewhere along the line, whenever they get around to scheduling that. Well, people forget before he hurt his back, he was an absolute force uh, with the New York Yankees and one of the best defensive first basemen we've ever seen. No question about that. He was a great two-way player and a terrific person. And uh, that should never be overlooked. He, he, he's he's a, a man of terrific character, a great competitor, a wonderful teacher, and uh, everybody that knows Don well and has watched him on a daily basis, as uh, we, the broadcasters, have, uh, ad- admire him and, and pull for him to do well. And to see this thing through here and see this club get turned around and become a, a winning product, that's what it's going to take uh, on the field for the fans to start to show up once again. So Derek Jeter, we knew about him as a player. We don't know much about him as an executive. What's it been like, Derek Jeter, the executive slash owner of the Marlins? Well, he'd be the first to tell you, number one, he's learning on the fly. And I'll be the first to tell you how hard he works. Uh, He avoids the spotlight. Uh, He does not want this whole process here to be about him. He wants to be, it to be about the young players. He spends a lot of time in that office and with the other employees in trying to improve things, get the team really involved in the community more so than they ever have been. And uh, Donnie, he st- will still come down on the field uh, maybe once or twice a homestand, spends very little time in the clubhouse, but uh, he, he will seek out individual players and, and give him a pat on the back usually and uh, words of encouragement. So we do see him a lot, but he, he is, uh, his name is part of the expression, the face of the franchise, but we don't see him that often thrusting himself into the, into the public uh, view. So he, he's, he's done a terrific job in trying to get this thing turned around and he's going about it the right way. Let's end on this. We're going to start celebrating one of the great teams in the history of baseball, the 72, 73, and 74 Oakland Athletics, starting on Friday night at 8 o'clock, game two of the World Series between the A's and the Big Red Machine. When you think back in baseball history, what are your thoughts of that great era and that great team, the Oakland Athletics, who won three straight? It was really exciting stuff, wasn't it? I mean, uh, even from afar. 
Uh, during those years, uh, I was broadcasting at the time the, the Montreal uh, Expos games. Uh, by the way, uh, that's where I first met Dick Williams when he coached in Montreal for one year under the Expos manager, Dane Mock. Uh, and then that was uh, a friendship that had gone well back into their playing days in the Brooklyn organization. And uh, so that was interesting. So we always kind of kept a close eye on Dick Williams. And that was a very exciting time. Loved the white shoes, loved the uniforms, and uh, loved the stash. Wouldn't it be great to get baseball back in Montreal? Boy, it, uh, it would, uh, I think, because I, I think they're better prepared now to do things the right way up there uh, than ever before. During the, during the 70s, uh, their first year on the field was 1969, but all during the 70s and into the early 80s, they were doing things the right way. They built a wonderful farm system, a lot of young players, three of them now in, uh, in the Hall of Fame, uh, Gary Carter and Andre Dawson and Tim Raines. And uh, we can even lay claim uh, and some credit uh, for Pedro Martinez, too, because he won his first Cy Young Award as a member of the Expos. And it was Felipe Alou managing the Expos at the time that uh, really uh, did the groundwork to establish uh, uh, Pedro as a, as, a, uh, as a pitcher, as a starting pitcher. So uh, uh, some ties there uh, as, as well, uh, uh, going back to those, those days. Strong farm system, and they did things right. And then it kind of unraveled once uh, Charles Bromman, the original owner, sold the club, and John McHale Sr. stepped aside, and it was never right after that. Dave, it, it, it's an honor to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you when this season uh, gets going once again. Let's do that, and when, when we do that, we can get back to this subject we were just talking about because I should not have uh, omitted mention of the 94 Expos who had the best team uh, and uh, best record in Major League Baseball. So there was a, a uh, another good moment for the uh, ball club, but it didn't last. Okay, thanks a lot. Hey, take care. You as well. Dave Van Horn, Ford C. Frick Award winner. I mean, look at the names on the show today. Ramon Laureano, Marty Lurie, Dave Van Horn, a Hall of Famer, Ray Fossey coming up here at 2.30, the longtime voice, one of the great broadcasters in A's history, Monty Moore at 3, and the uh, MVP, Cy Young Award winner, Vita Blue, rock star at 3.30. Is, is that any good, Cody? I did my best. Uh, it could have been better. Uh, I, I feel bad. I, I We had Roxy Bernstein scheduled, and, you know, I told him, hey, let's do it Friday instead. And, uh, you know, we actually just got a text from him during the Dave Van Horn interview because, you know, Roxy Roxy worked with Dave for a long time in, in uh, then Florida Marlins when uh, Roxy uh, was head of – as we jokingly said, we he played a big part in Miguel Cabrera's uh, body transformation. This is more of a joke than anything, but it's uh, one of the funnier stories when he tells us all the stuff about Cabrera when oh. he was down there. It's uh, Ro- Roxy literally has the greatest Miguel Cabrera, and it's sad, but it's really like it, it, it's it's crazy. I'll let Roxy tell it uh, on Friday. Okay, 
So the A's have been playing a simulated season with the 29 other teams with baseball reference taking on the Red Sox today. The game is already over. Where are the A's in this simulated year? All right, let's start with yesterday. So the A's win game two of the series against Boston to move the 14 and four on the season. Frankie Montas goes five and two thirds. Four? Wow! I know it's it's uh re- it's remarkable because we're the last couple of years we're not used to seeing the team get off to such a fast start, but uh, oh. they're 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 changing that this year. Uh, so Frankie Montas five and two thirds innings pitched three along three runs struck out six. He's now two and one with a five forty ERA on the season. Lou Trevino got to save, pitched three and a third, and has a point eighty four ERA on the season. Chad Pinder, oh, sweet, sweet, sweet Lou is having a comeback year. Yeah, the the pride of the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference is having a rebound year. Chad Pinder hit his fourth home run in only thirty five at bats, and Marcus Simeon hit home run number nine Tuesday night. So we get to today, the day game, the finale of the series at the Coliseum versus the hated by most Boston Red Sox. The A's win again. They take down the Red Sox five one, sweep the series. Moved to 15-4 and four on the year. Tony Kemp, the hero, goes 3-4 for four with two RBIs. Bassey, 8-2, allows one run. He's now 3-0 with a 186 ERA on the year. The A's have the best record in baseball. The Braves are right behind them at 14-6. and six. And yes, Heim Bloom, Ron Renneke, and the Boston Red Sox are 8-12. Panic is setting in in Boston. All right. Who said in spring training... Bassey was going to play a big part this year. Uh, that would be that would be you. Yes. No one's a bigger Chris Bassett fan than you. Everybody's talking about Jesus Lazardo. Everybody's talking about AJ Puck. Everybody's talking Mike Fires, Sean Mania. I'm telling you, Bassey is going to make a big impression. There's no way they're letting him. I mean, look what he did last year. Now, obviously, this is just simulation, but. You look at what, how, how they see him starting out. I mean, if I tell you Chris Bassett's three and zero with a one point eight six ERA, that's 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 and going eight and two thirds, saving the bullpen. That's ace ace like stuff. He actually right now has well, okay. So this is show you how the simulations go. Now, Sam and I is three and zero with a two hundred five ERA. That's great. Jake Odorizzi of the Twins is three and one with a one seventy one ERA. But then you have guys like. Walker Bueller, who is great for the Dodgers. He's 3-0 the 173 RA. And then Kyle Freeland, who got sent to the minors last year with the Colorado Rockies because he couldn't pitch a course field or pitch anywhere for them. In three starts, he's 3-0 with a .40 ERA in 22 and two-thirds innings pitched. That, that That's remarkable because uh, I don't see that bounce back coming. I mean, I like him, but um, Bassey is number one if you click on the standings or the statistics for the 2020 simulated season on Baseball Reference. And you click on wins, Bassey is number one on the list. By, by Then Shane Bieber and Walker Bueller are two and three. So those are two guys that he's ahead of that are looked at to being aces and futures of Major League Baseball. Shane, don't call me. What, what was the nickname I was about? Justin Not Bieber. Justin. Not Justin Bieber, yeah. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Uh, so break down the division for me. Where are the Astros? All right, let me get back to that because I'm on the stats. The Astros, um, right now, the A's, like I said, are leading at 15-4. and four. The second-place team, believe it or not, still the Seattle Mariners at 12-7 and seven on the air. The Mariners, 12-7. and seven. 
The Astros are nine and nine, third in the division. The Mike Trout led Angels are seven and eleven, and Chris Woodward and the Texas Rangers without Jace Tingler on his staff are six and twelve. That's not good. No, uh, worst team in baseball. Do you know who it is? I do this every time we do this. Worst team in baseball. I have no clue. Well, it's still the Phillies at five and fourteen, followed by Bob Townsend, San Diego Padres. <laughs> Kevin Franzen's Phillies are have the worst record in the league. Uh, we're gonna have to ask Franny about this on Friday. Franny, what's going and on? Then, Sim- simulations don't like I, you. Your guys is here. I, my brother's Friars aren't doing well. They are five and thirteen. They're just a shade ahead of the Phillies in win percentage on the season. The Tigers and Orioles have more wins than those two teams do. They have six and the Orioles have seven, but still. Yeah, Orioles are only game behind the uh, Red Sox there in the uh, AL East. That, 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 that ain't happening. Uh, no. Uh, well, well, if, if the Padres are 5-13, and 13, I don't think uh, don't think Jace Tingler is going to be making it through the season. Well, him and his other two managers are going to make it through the year. Because when you have three managers, you don't have any. And then there's a guy sitting down the street ready to take, ready to take the job. Yeah, he's just hanging out, friend of the program, Bruce Bochy. You know, he's he's just lying in the weeds pretty much. I was, I'm pulling up the batting statistics. Let's see how uh, – let's see if Marcus is still leading Major League Baseball in home runs because the other day he was, and like I said, on, on Tuesday he hit his ninth home run. And let's see, click on homers. And the leader in home runs once is now Marcus Simeon. And the Franimal, Fran Mill Reyes, also has nine with the Cleveland Indians. So Marcus you is know, tied for first in home runs. You know, if you're Bruce Bochy and you basically got pushed out, I mean, you got to be pretty in the end. You know, he had to do all the dog and pony show and everybody's giving him something on the way out. And you're like, yeah, I really don't want to retire. But he went out gracefully. He didn't go kicking and screaming. But if he still wants to manage, there's a shortened season. And then you see him back in the dugout. I mean, I could easily see him back because he lives in San Diego and managed, played, managed for the Padres for years. I could see him back next season, no question. And just how awkward. You, 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 You think Madison Bumgarner in a Diamondback uniform is awkward? What will it be like Bruce Bochy back in a brown Padres uniform, like when he was a player? Uh, very. It's. I mean, that's good for the that franchise because they need some stability. I mean, I I really like Bud Black. I think Bud Black's a good manager. He just never had the talent after that 2010 team where they they could put it together. They were really good in 2010. They haven't done anything since. Well, they didn't even make the playoffs, so they still won what 89, 90 games that year. Uh, they haven't been good since the Giants under Gabe Kapler in front of this program. Are seven and eleven, so uh, they're not really treading ahead of where they should be. They're probably staying right on par. They're under five hundred. It's seven and eleven. I think the one thing that shocks me most on all these standings, I, I just don't see the Pittsburgh Pirates being ten and eight and third in the NL Central right now. It just no, you're not going to be ahead of the Brewers and Cubs. I, it, it's not happening. If it does, it, then about? we we just we just previewed the Pirates. Yeah, raise the Jolly Roger. I love Greg Brown, but um, I don't think that Greg's going to be carrying the Pirates to uh, a winning season this year. But seeing Bochy back with the Padres, I think just having Bochy back in baseball is going to be good. And if he's with the Padres, it's like the homecoming 
that we all want to see for him because maybe Manny Machado will play hard for him. Yeah, I mean, some of the like I've, I, you know, I got my I got my, uh, my my magazines open to the Marlins. When when you're 57 and 105, that's 30 and 51 at home and 27 and 54 on the road. Man, you know we fans that, that turns out to be a really, really, really long season. You know how many fans they drew in 2018? One point something. 811,000. You know how many fans they drew last year? What? 811,302. So they were about, about 200 more fans they drew last year than they did in 2018. They had an extra, they had an extra giveaway day. It, must, what have, it, was. it must have been Derek Jeter uh, bobblehead night or something at the ballpark oh, to get God, people to go there. Can you imagine how much people just hate Derek Jeter down there? Well, remember we talked about how we think it's a Miami writer that sabotaged his uh, unanimous Hall of Fame bid because – you know, they don't like that the way that he – I know. That huh? was a really good call because, like, okay, someone didn't vote for Derek Jeter. Like, who, who's not voting for Derek Jeter? Come on. And one person didn't vote for him. And is it somebody who has a vote down in in Florida or South Florida who's who's saying, you know what, I'm not going to make this guy unanimous after what he did to, to Florida? I mean, you're, you're, you're down there, and you're watching Christian Yelich, and you're like, we gave this guy up? I mean, you're probably happy you got rid of – John Carlos Stanton, and he's the Yankees' problem now with that contract. You get rid of Azuna too. Azuna, yeah, <laughs> but I think the Yelich one is really the one. Like you gave this guy up, and this guy is now a top five player in the game. You you, you got to be angry. Well, yeah, um, I was to say not even that. The guy they gave him up for one of the, the the centerpiece of that deal was Lewis Brinson, who is like down in Double A now for the Marlins. He can't he can't even hit two hundred for them. So the, the that might go down as one of the most lopsided trades in the history of baseball for what what they got back in that deal for Yelich and what Yelich has become, their, their bullpen last year, even with our guy Ryan Sanink, the opener, they had a negative 2.2 war that was dead last in Major League Baseball. Friend of the program, Ryan Sanink, yeah. the opener. The opener, yeah. Well, it's, I don't know how many games he's going to be. He might have to start opening some games on there for them because uh, things aren't looking good in uh, South Florida. So, coming up next, the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey as this has been such a great time. And when we first were talking about this behind the scenes, it's just a, just a wonderful idea to go back and celebrate one of the great runs in the history of the game. Because a lot of us, if you're listening right now, the odds are you didn't see it. And you heard about it. You've read about it. We've honored these guys the past couple of years. But we haven't seen like the full games. And this is truly one of the great teams of all time. And starting Friday night at 8 o'clock, NBC Sports California, we're going to see game two of the A's and the Reds. I cannot wait. Don't forget, we're going to do an hour-long pregame show, Ken Korak and I, to get you ready for that game right here on A's Cast. We still have Monty Moore at 3 o'clock, Vita Blue at 3.30, but coming up next... It's Ray Fossey time right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. All right, we've got a lot of A's baseball to talk about, a lot of A's history. As Ray Fossey is going to join us, and we'll still talk about Jackie Robinson. Today is the day in Major League Baseball that we honor the great Jackie Robinson, the Hall of Famer, and the man 
who helped change history here in this country. And we'll talk a lot about these World Series teams. Of course, Ray wasn't on the team in 72. It's You know what's crazy about Ray's career? Is he was never in the middle. His teams were either garbage or they won the World Series, right? I mean, it's kind of <laughs> – there was no in-between. What did you say? What does he always say that, you know, on opening day they're already, they already out of the playoffs on opening day? So I yeah, always love it, that line. It, 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 it's hilarious. Do, do you have the open ready? <laughs> Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Ray, how are you? Tommy, I am great. It's nice to uh, kind of listen in to you and Cody having a little banter back and forth. So that's good. I'm glad Cody's involved, and uh, I know he's a big help, but I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We are doing wonderful, and before we start talking about your career and the teams you're on, today is the day that we honor Jackie Robinson, and yeah. Jackie Robinson just didn't change baseball. He helped change the United States of America. You're exactly right, and I'm glad they're honoring him. And, uh, you know, Tony, I talked to Steve Blast, uh, A's cast. I know it's been playing or had played last year, and I asked him because he was uh, alongside Roberto Clemente. And many have said that Clemente is number 21 because he was really kind of the first Puerto Rican player. And there's so many Latin players from Puerto Rico who have played. But Jackie Robinson was tremendous. And he, 1947, actually is the year that I was born. But, Tony, I remember talking to late Don Newcomb. Nuke played in Brooklyn with uh, Jackie and, and Roy Campanella, such a great team. They moved to Los Angeles. And I remember asking Don Newcomb, and a matter of fact, I have it on an interview. I said, why Jackie Robinson? And Don Newcomb simply said, because he could. Because they knew what was going to be happening when integration, basically, I mean, when, when Jackie came into the league, everybody knew what was going to happen. And Don also said, uh, when I guess Branch Rickey said, if someone slaps you on the side of the face, are you going to turn? And Nuke said, uh, in so many words, don't even try it because I don't think Jackie Robinson would turn the other cheek. But it, it, was, it was great for baseball, and I think we have to recognize the fact that Ken Griffey Jr., Hall of Famer himself, was really the first and the inst instrumental in uh, wearing the number 42. He asked Bud Selig, commissioner at the time, and uh, Bud said, that's a great idea, let me call Jackie's wife. And next thing you know, everybody in baseball wearing it. It's tough on broadcasters because if you don't know the players, you don't the back or a number. But that doesn't happen because it's 42. But I'm glad the number is retired. And I have a baseball that was autographed by Mariano Rivera, who was the first and only unanimous inductee into Cooperstown. His signature was, and it was a pristine signature, it was Mariano Rivera last to wear 42 because the number was grandfathered in for players who had been wearing it. I know uh, uh, Dave Henderson with the A's wore number 42, but as players retired, that number would never be worn again by that particular team if he, that player was the last one to wear it. And Mariano was the last to wear 42, and that number would never be worn again. I think it's appropriate for baseball 
that on this day, April 15th, that uh, honoring Jackie Robinson, I'm glad baseball is still recognizing Jackie, even though baseball, unfortunately, is not being played. You know, I, I feel like baseball is a little bit lazy on this from the standpoint of, you know, Larry Doby did this in the American League, the exact yep. same thing that Jackie Robinson went through and he did. And I bet you if we went around and, 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 and asked all these modern day players and said, who was the second guy in the first in the American League? They'd yep. have no idea. So, yes, honor Jackie. But Larry Doby and Larry Doby was a great player himself uh, and yes, then managed. Uh, we should be honoring him just like we honor Jackie Robinson because he was the first in the American League. County, I'm glad you brought that up because I agree with you 100% because of Jackie's number 42 being retired. It's like Larry Doby was forgotten man. And, and you're exactly right. First in the American League, Jackie was playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time and it was first in the National League. But I agree with you. It could be both of them, one in the American, one in the National and I don't know that it ever happened, but that's a great point. I'm glad you brought him up because Larry Doby was an outstanding baseball player. He played for my original team, the Cleveland Indians, was a tremendous player. And did your grandfather play against him? Uh, well, you know, Jackie Robinson and his very first at-bat grounded out to my grandfather. Is that right? That's that's a great story. That's wonderful. But, no, I, I agree with you uh, 100%, Tony. I think both uh, – Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby should be uh, numbers should be retired. And again, I even though Steve Blass was was very open about it, he said, you know, I, I'm just privileged to have played with the late Roberto Clemente. But I, I think there are a lot in baseball uh, think that that number 21 should be retired as well. So you're essentially looking at three numbers. I can't remember what Larry Doby wore, but uh, definitely Jackie Robinson 42 and. Uh, Roberto Clemente, 21, but I, you know, I agree. They, they should be retired because of what they meant to baseball. We're honoring Jackie today, but let's not forget Larry Doby. Yeah. Larry Doby's a seven time all-star, a world series yeah. champion. So uh, my grandfather would have played against Doby in the 1948 world series. He's a, two -time, right. he's a two time American league home run leader. He led the league in RBIs. And he's in the Cleveland Hall of Fame and, of course, in the Baseball Hall of Fame from the Veterans Committee. I just I love right. talking to Jackie, but I want this man to also get his due. By the way, your career, we were just joking, uh, your career is like on different ends of the spectrum, right? You're either on the Indians <laughs> and you stink or you're on the A's and you're winning the World Series. There was like nothing in the middle for you. <laughs> oh, you're exactly right. And, I, you know, you combine the injuries and, and – but I was I was extremely happy. But I, you, you know, I've told the story that, uh, and I heard Cody talking about out of the playoffs, the opening day. Probably was talking about the Cleveland Indians. I, I didn't exactly hear who he's talking about. But uh, you know, we always dreamt of playing in the World Series and winning. And I'm going, yeah, opening day we're eliminated and we're just playing out the 162 game schedule because that was it. But but you know, getting traded to the A's, and that's why I've always said uh, my my introduction to the A's in '73 when Dick Green. Uh, said to me, you know, we're ready to go. We're going to play somebody. We're going to win our division, play somebody from the East, be it the Orioles, and play somebody in the National League and, and beat the New York Mets, uh, as it turned out, to win the World Series. And, and for someone who knew that my previous four years in the big leagues had been on teams that when the last game of the season was over, I was headed home because there, there was no doubt that I was not going to be playing in any postseason. So it was much different in 1973. It was a marvelous season playing for the Athletics and, and ended up going to the World Series. And, you know, Tony, I've always said that uh, now with the wild card, the division, the league, and the World Series, 
you're playing the entire month of October, uh, October under normal circumstances, but that was a five-game league championship series. So we had to beat the Orioles in five games to even get to the World Series. So I thought the pressure was on the teams playing in the league championship series, probably more so than the World Series. I mean, it was kind of anticlimactic in game one of the World Series for me in 73 because it took us five games to beat the Orioles to even get there. But you're exactly right. And, and to be in Cleveland, play for the A's for three years, unfortunately losing Catfish Hunter after the 74 season, he goes on to the Yankees. Charlie Finley decides, and it was Charlie, the owner, who decided what was going to be happening with the structure of the ball club. I ended up going back to Cleveland, signed with Milwaukee. So with the exception of two years in Oakland and three years total, but the two years winning World Series, uh, I, was, I was playing for teams that were destined to go home at the end of the season versus playing in postseason. And, you know, I've always said, and it really upsets me when people say when they win the World Series, oh, it's tough because they had to play that extra month. I'm going, give me a break. Your whole idea of playing baseball starting in spring training is to play in October, and if you can't rest up in four months, I'm sorry, there's something wrong. So I think it's more mental. But you win, and you want to keep winning. And that's like Derek Jeter, 20-plus years. He only, what, two years in which he didn't go to postseason. He was always playing in October. That's what you play for. So, you, you know, you, you build up the momentum. You have the adrenaline flowing. And I guarantee you, Tony, you play on a loser versus a winner, when the season comes down to October and you're playing a postseason, it's like you haven't played one game in Major League Baseball for the previous six months because that's how much you appreciate getting the chance to be one of the last teams standing. You know, we've had a lot of great voices of the team. You know, we got Ken and Vince now. You think about Bill King and Lon Simmons. But no one called more meaningful games. Yeah. And on the biggest stage than your friend Monty Moore – we had we taped him earlier today at 90 years old. How long do you think that interview goes? <laughs> Knowing Monty and his uh, his recall of those, especially those World Series, and you know that the thing. And I talk to Monty a couple times a week because he, he's such a good friend and such a good person. And unfortunately, lost his, his wonderful wife of 63 years, Diana, a couple years ago. But he is a wonderful man, and you know. I still say, and it would be nice to some degree if they would go back to those that those years and have the local broadcasters be a part of the telecast or be a part of the postseason because who knows a team better than the person, the, the, the broadcaster, who was with the team the whole season. And the fact that Monty had the opportunity for three consecutive World Series to broadcast four and a half innings of every game. That's 19 games, Tony. He was a part of that. And I was actually... I was online and uh, seeing the play that everybody says I didn't tag Bud Harrelson, uh, but I did. And uh, Howie Rose, I talked to uh, the great Cody, and I said, please try to get him on because Howie Rose was a fan of the Mets in the stands watching those games in the 73 World Series, and now he's broadcasting for the Mets. And I did an interview with him on Broadcaster Sunday and he said, you didn't tag him. But I said, get over it. I, he says, I have Harrelson's number. He'll tell you. And, you know, Augie Donatelli, I still say the late Augie Donatelli happened to be in the great position. And I was watching this, this minute and 30 second whatever in, of that play. And Monty Moore was doing the broadcasting with Kurt Gowdy. And he said, look at Augie Donatelli. And, and literally, Augie Donatelli was lying down face first at home plate watching that tag. And there's nobody in the world 
could have seen where I tagged him, which was very minimal considering the blouse uniform. But I, to this day, I still believe 100% that I tagged Bud Harrelson. He didn't feel it. And Willie Mays, who was in the on-deck circle, didn't see it. But Augie Donatelli, the most important guy on the field, saw it. And that's why we went into extra innings. Yeah, Monty, Monty, you're going to hear it coming up here at 3 o'clock. But he tells the story about he's going to be doing the World Series. And it was either Kirk Gowdy or Tony Kubek. You know, they're counting it down 10, 9, 8. And then all of a sudden with six seconds left, he goes, hey, just have fun. And don't worry about it. You only have like 30 million people watching. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, really, that's what happens in the World Series. Because in today's world, you have 30 teams. You get down to two playing Maximum seven games, somebody wins four, it's over. The, the world is watching baseball, and that's what makes it so beautiful. But that's hilarious. Monty had told me that a couple of years ago that it was Kurt Gowdy who said, hey, just don't worry about it. It's only 30 million people. But Monty was tremendous in those years. And, you know, let's not forget, he came out from uh, Kansas City with the Kansas City A's to the Oakland A's. And I, I love the story where he talks about, he said, can you imagine going to California in the off season or the wintertime getting ready? for the new season and you're wearing white shoes and everybody's looking at you going, what are you doing wearing white shoes? Well, that was Charlie Finley. And he wanted to introduce the white shoes and the Oakland A's to the Bay area. And you talk about uh, some pretty, pretty successful teams under Charlie. O. pretty impressive. You know, it's, it, it really is hard to explain the kind of dysfunction that was always around this era of baseball with the A's and you guys still won despite it. Because usually when you have dysfunction, the team isn't going to be very good. There were so many no. crazy things that happened with your teams, with the owner. He's in Chicago. All the players hate him. I mean, it's just wild time. <laughs> oh, man. You, you, I tell you, Jason Turbo wrote a tremendous book, The uh, Dynastic, Bombastic, Fantastic, I think is the name of it. But a tremendous book that kind of – recounting those years in the seventies. But I remember that, you know, we'd never see Charlie except postseason. And when we go to Chicago, there would be a bus waiting. We always played Saturday day games at Comiskey park. And after the game, a bus was waiting to take everybody to LaPorte, Indiana, where Charlie had his farm and we would go there and have a dinner. And then the bus would take us back to the hotel. And that would be it. And we wouldn't see him again until postseason. but uh, he ran the ball club. And, and remember, it was a skeleton front office. And I say that because I remember when the Haas family bought the club from Charlie Finley, uh, Wally Haas, uh, the son of Walter, the juniors, whatever, number two, three, four, whatever. But I'll never forget Wally going to the front desk and seeing a sign saying dial zero for operator. And he said, we just bought his club and that's our introduction to it. And, but that was the difference. Charlie had Carolyn Kaufman, his secretary, Norm Kosalki, and the traveling secretary. So it was Charlie in Chicago and three people in, at the Coliseum, and that was it. But I'll, I'll tell you, Tony, it was a team that there was no free agency until 76. So you take 72, 3, and 4, those teams stayed together because there was no movement. We belonged to the team that we played for, and unless we were traded or quit, we had to stay with that team. And, you know, you could say, well, well, it was Kurt Flood, of course, in 1970 that started it, and uh, – He's the one that should be recognized for everything that he did for baseball. But uh, in 72, 3, and 4, those teams were together. And the thing that Charlie did, he would bring in players to supplement the team. And I remember Big Daddy came in. Aaron Johnson came in in 73 in the first year of the DH. He came in. So, I mean, there, there are different things that happened that Charlie could get on a phone with an owner of a ball club 
And I remember we were in Chicago one time, and it was Daryl Knowles, Dick Green, and I, and Paul Lindblad, four of us, and we're sitting at Charlie's uh, desk in, uh, in Chicago, and he calls Bob Short, the owner of the Washington Senators, and he said, hey, Bob, what do you think about Daryl Knowles? And he's on speakerphone, and Bob Short said, he's in your office, isn't he, Charlie? You just want me to talk about him. Well, Charlie would call owners and ask about certain players because he really didn't have much of a scouting system, and he'd say, what do you think about Say Vic Navalillo, he says, man, it's, he's a great guy coming off the bench, great pinch hitter. If you got a chance, get him. Next day, he's with our ball club. And that's how Charlie was able to supplement players. He had his core guys that he brought from Kansas City. I was traded to the A's. Uh, uh, Billy North was traded from Chicago to the A's. Kenny Holtzman from Chicago to the A's. And so, but it was Gene Tennis, Salvando, Campy, Joe Rudy, Catfish, Raleigh. I mean, these guys were staples in Kansas City, and I think that's what upset the city of Kansas City so much. They could see that this was going to be a very good club. So when Charlie uprooted the team and took them to Oakland, then all of a sudden five consecutive league championships or division series, three consecutive world championships, people in Kansas City probably have never forgotten Charlie Finley, even though they have won a couple World Series themselves. Not during that period of time. It took them until 1985 to win their first. But uh, Charlie was not well-liked in Kansas City. But Monty was great. Monty came with him, and here we have the Oakland A's. And next thing you know, the Bay Area fans are tremendous because they get a chance to watch one of the best teams ever in baseball. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, And we're going to be airing all these games, and our first two will be Friday and Saturday. And I can't wait because I, I, I've i never seen these games. So I'm going to treat it like a regular game. I'm going to keep score. I'm uh, going to watch it. We're going to break it down. And it's going to be a lot of fun because you're talking – I mean, the legends that are in these games, you know, all your great players and Hall of Famers on your team. And you think about the, the Big Red Machine. You think about the Mets. Tom yeah. Seaver. Yogi Bear is the manager of the Mets. And then, of course, all those great Dodger players. You know, you're exactly right. And, and, and talk about fun and, and being able to do that. And again, to have to win uh, the, the league championship series. And we did it the two years that I was there, both years uh, against the Baltimore Orioles. And, and I still think the game won of the World Series against the Dodgers in 74 when Ken Holtzman started because Catfish won game four in Baltimore to get us the World Series. And so that was the importance of Catfish on those teams. And there were times that he had to get us to the World Series and because of that, not a bad guy to turn to in Vita Blue or Kenny Holtzman or John Blue Moon Odom. And remember, in 73, the A's had the last time that I can recall three 20-game winners. So who are you going to start, Catfish, Vita, or, uh, or uh, Kenny Holtzman? All three were 20-game winners. And then you have Raleigh coming in. And, you know, the one thing you're going to enjoy, and fans who have not seen those games, you're going to enjoy seeing a closer by the name of Raleigh Fingers come in as early as the fifth and sixth inning and pitching three or four innings. And then – Daryl Knowles, who in 73 pitched in all seven of the World Series games, but it was Raleigh coming in as the closer, a former starter, but his arm was like a rubber arm, and he could throw three or four innings to shut down the opposition. And that's why those games were, were so well played. The batting averages for the offense, not that great, scored just enough at the right time to win the games. But the one thing Howie Rose, and I listened to the interview again yesterday, and he said, and here's a kid back in 73 watching this, and he said if George Stone had started game six instead of Tom Seaver, the, the Mets might have won the World Series. And he said Seaver came back on short day's rest. And then I think it was Matlack came back on game seven short rest. But if Stone pitches game six, Seaver pitches game seven if necessary 
on regular rest. And Tom Seaver, the Hall of Famer, was good. So little things like that that happened that the play in, in game two where I did tell tag Bud Harrelson, although, you know, how he was at him and saying, no, he didn't and all that. But, uh, you know, it was a great World Series. And for me personally, Tony, to have played in my first World Series, and I played in 143 games in 73, played in the playoffs, the World Series, and the season's over, and I'll say it a thousand times, it was like I never played one game because that's the difference of winning. And, again, that's what the A's fans have been able to observe in the 50-plus years that the A's have been there to have four world champions, a lot of success, a lot of postseason, tremendous fans supporting, great teams, and it's going to continue once we do get back. But that's the beauty of playing at the Coliseum or in Oakland. And uh, right now the Coliseum is the place, and it does get loud with those great fans that the A's have. You know, I said this the other day that, and I know you've mentioned it and all your other teammates have mentioned it, uh, where, hey, if Charlie Finley doesn't break up the team, <laughs> they probably keep winning World Series. And if that's the case, then there never would have been a big red machine. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Because what happened when free agency came in, that's when Charlie Finley said, I'm not going to do it. And we lost to the, the Reds or the uh, Red Sox in 75. And that's when they played the, the Cincinnati Reds. And then here comes free agency. And then all of a sudden, all the great players that had been part of the nucleus of championship teams, five division winners and three world championships, they go to different clubs because unfortunately, Charlie did not believe in long-term contracts. And Tony, we're not talking about the millions that players are getting today to become you know, part of a ball club. We're talking about in the case of Joe Rudy, give me 100000 125 and 150 and then I'll stay with the ball club. You know, that's the difference of today. So it would not have taken that much money to keep the team together. But unfortunately, it was Charlie who said no long-term contract, team disbanded. But um, I agree. It, it could have been a team that with the way that other players came in and supplemented the nucleus of the team – there are a lot of players on the Oakland A's who won the three consecutive world championships, the players who played in all three. They could have been lifelong Oakland Athletics players, never put on another uniform if, if Charlie had kept the team together and, again, brought in different players to supplement guys who had retired or traded off or, or done whatever. But, uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen. Well, you were in the first draft ever uh, with Rick Monday going number one. Didn't you sign for, like, $5 million? Yeah. <laughs> I just oh, come on, Tony. You know better than that. <laughs> no, no. You, you know, in all honesty, I see players in today's world. You know, see, in 1965, uh, they they instituted the draft because they didn't like to pay the big bonuses. So they figured if a player is drafted, he has no bargaining power to sign with any other team. You have to sign with the team that you're drafted by, or go back to school. In my case, I was out of high school. I would have gone to college, played in a three-year school or four-year school. I couldn't have left until after three years. But now they have these kids that are slotted. And I remember there was one player a couple of years ago who was drafted by the A's and got 5 or $6 million as the number one. And I'm going, wow, what a time change. What a difference in the way. Because it's really kind of gone back full circle to where it was prior to 65, where you have players, even though now they're drafted by a team. But if you're, say, the number one draft choice overall, you're slotted at, at several million dollars. Definitely not what I got. Tony, I got 28000 and that was it. What did Monday get? A little over 100000 and that was it. So Rick was top, number one overall, the first ever draft. He got, I don't know exactly, they, it was more than $100,000, because he told me, he wouldn't tell me the exact figure, but he said it was over hundred. And 
Um, you know, in, in all honesty, the, I think the number two draft choice for the Indians that year, uh, I know his name, but I'm not going to say it. I think he got more money than I did and as I was the number one. But, you know, times were different. I was happy to play because, Tony, I was a strong believer, and I still believe that guys who hold out during the time they're drafted and they hold out for more money, are they saying, I don't believe I can play? Because with the money that's being paid at the major league level, why would you not want to be drafted, sign, and go play baseball? Because the quicker you get in that uniform as a professional, the quicker, if you're good enough, you're going to get the big league. That's where you're going to make your money. Look at Garrett Cole. Look at Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. I mean, there's a lot of players making a lot of money. And uh, if, you, if you give up that first year, it's, that's one year that maybe in the back end of your career, you're making millions of dollars versus trying to fight for an extra couple of hundred thousand dollars as a draft choice. So if you drafted and you get a chance to put on a professional uniform and hopefully a major league uniform, you sign that contract, you play as quickly as you can and get to the big leagues because that's where it's all about. You know, Tony, there's only been around 20,000 players that have ever played major league baseball, 20,000. If you think about the great game of baseball, and the number of years that it's been played, that's how few, and I say few, consider the number of players who have put on a professional uniform, that's how few have actually played Major League Baseball. And it's an un- unbelievable number when you think about how few there are. And, and even more so with the Hall of Famers, you're looking at less than 1% of the players who have played are at Cooperstown as a player. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a great point. And I remember the story with George Brett as he's drafted by the Royals and Brett was haggling over X amount of money and his brother was already a big leaguer, Ken. And he said, Hey, listen, if you think you're that good, why are you worried about these few thousands when you're going to be able to make millions when you get to the big leagues? And so Brett signed and uh, the rest is history. But yeah, that was his advice. Sign now and get in and go. Well, you know, when Barry Zito was drafted by the A's and, you know, typically when, when a player is drafted and signs, we have him in the booth interviewing him. And I'll never forget Barry Zito saying, when I said, man, you signed fast, he said, I want to get back here. He said, this is where you're supposed to play. And I'm thinking, wow, that should be the process of every player who's drafted, to get there as quickly as possible. And Barry Zito, I'll never forget him saying, that's what I want to do. I want to get back here as quickly as possible. So, yeah, I signed. This has been my dream. I signed. I want to go play in the minor league baseball and get the big leagues. He had a very good career. And, oh, by the way, he made pretty good money, too, uh, from across the bay. So, yeah, it, it all works out. But uh, I remember the, uh, Jason Veritek. Jason Veritek was drafted, oh, was it Minnesota? But he was drafted, and he did not sign the year he was drafted. He played independent baseball and ended up signing, I think, with the Mariners and then traded the Red Sox. He had a great career. But that one year that he played independent baseball, a couple of things. Number one, it, he lost out on playing professional baseball. But I think the most important reason, number two, he could have taken a chance of getting hurt and never playing at the major league level. He had a very good career, won the World Series in 04 with the Red Sox, and, you know, he still works for them. But, you know, that's just one example. But the bottom line, I don't care whether it's the millions now that you're drafted and you get as a player or back when we didn't get that much, you're still number one objective and goal is to get the big leagues. And the quicker you can get there, the better it's going to be for you and in my case, I was fortunate. I'm glad you brought up that, uh, that number of years that I, I was. <laughs> I mean, you just, you just flat out said it. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. But, you know, I, I was fortunate to have two, two wonderful years playing for the A's at the broadcast in 89 and uh, still be a member of the broadcast team. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm blessed. And uh, to be able to talk with you on Wednesdays and, and Cody and 
to know that you're talking to some of my former teammates and the great Monty Moore and reliving some of those championship years. And like I said last week, Tony, and when I probably in, in advance said something that I shouldn't have said, but it, it does give us a chance to go back. And the history of the Oakland A's, there's a lot of history. And by going back to the World Series in 72, 3, and 4, fans like yourself get a chance to relive some of those great teams, great games, and realize that the franchise has been outstanding for a number of years. And uh, all A's fans, all people working for the A's are very blessed, very fortunate to have been part of that. And uh, I, I, I'm proof of that because, you know, I started in Cleveland, never want to be traded, but I ended up with the Oakland A's and ended up especially broadcasting and uh, still being part of the A's organization. I couldn't be more pleased and more happier than uh, what I am right now. How many people have ever walked out with you in Cleveland to your, pa- to your plaque? Uh, you, <laughs> I've walked out by myself. Nobody ever walked out. I mean, just you, buddy. I mean, you last year you went there and, uh, you know, to see the plaque and the signature. And, and I, I think the, I think the giants, I think the giants were supposed to go this year to Cleveland and Dwayne Kuyper, who's also out there was yeah. going to go out and see his plaque. And I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but, uh, but no, it's, it's Bobby DiBiase did a wonderful job in uh, heritage park which, like you said, with Larry Doby, the Cleveland Hall of Famer, and, and some of the greats that have played, and uh, Bob Feller, Herb Score, uh, so many, so many wonderful players who played for the Tribe and are there now. But, uh, yeah, you're, I, it was fun walking out there and seeing you looking around. So you're, you're very observant, and that's what I've always liked about you, Ted. And I've said it before when you're doing that other sport, that you just don't go to the cities, stay in your hotel, and go to the yard. You, you go out and you observe what's in that city, and take advantage of it, and you did it in Cleveland, and I appreciate that, and I'm sure a lot of people appreciate it as well. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That, that, I, it, was, right. it was incredible. And the, the, the one thing that got me with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was you, you, you for, just forget how big Elvis Presley was. And you could, like, sit there and just read all the stuff, and you just yeah. – I mean, we talk about the there – was, there, was, there was two kings, right? Well, there's three kings. <laughs> you, you, you got Arnold Palmer. You got Elvis Presley yeah. and you got LeBron James, but Elvis Presley. If you ever get a chance in Cleveland, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a must. County, I'm glad you brought that up because you think about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and downtown Cleveland. If you have a Hall of Fame like that, especially at those names, I mean, just the Elvis Presley, and you think of all the great musical artists that have been there. It's there in versus New York. That says about what Cleveland has done downtown area they have the new football the new baseball they have the new uh, basketball arena downtown is thriving and i was there town and when i first came to went to the big leagues and man people couldn't wait to get out of the city of cleveland to go home after they work now they stay and that's why the tribe the indians have done such a good job drawing people there because people now work there they have the rock and roll hall of fame they have the indians playing they have other things going on in downtown and that's what can revitalize the downtown. Baseball did it for Cleveland. It can do it for a lot of places. And it could do it for America. And I hope that's why it comes back and uh, we can get, get it going. But health of the country is the most important. I want to continue to say that. But uh, I miss baseball. I know you do. But I'm glad the fans can at least watch some of the great World Series that their teams played on, especially those like yourself who maybe didn't get a chance to see those that many years ago. All right, Foss. Enjoy. Have a good week. We'll talk to you next week and be safe. Tony, you as well. Cody, the best for you, my friend. I know you guys are doing a great job and, uh, you know, continued success on what you're doing and especially talking to some of the great players of the past. And I know they appreciate it as much as I do.
So thank you. Take care, Ray. You too, buddy. Love that guy. Love that guy. Uh, as uh, we proved to Matt Chapman, I, we fact-check everyone on this program, and Fossey was correct. It was Jason Veritek that was drafted by the Twins, didn't sign, went to the Mariners, got traded to the Red Sox. Matt Chapman learned that we fact-check you. Ray Fossey now knows we'll fact-check him. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns in Northern California. Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. Coming up next here on A's Cast Live, a real treat for you, the legend, Monty Moore. Oh, it's so good. Can't wait. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, this is a real treat right here. And don't forget Vita Blue coming up here at 3.30. There's been a lot of great voices of the A's. But nobody has called more bigger games than Monty Moore. And doing it on na- on the national stage. And this team winning three straight World Series. So Monty Moore is very, very special. As you just heard Ray Fossey, what he means as this organization At 90 years old, he joins us here on A's Cast Live. Here is the great Monty Moore. Well, I've been talking a lot about this here on A's Cast Live that we want to bring on familiar voices, voices that mean something to you. And I don't know if there's a bigger voice ever for the Oakland Athletics when you think of Monty Moore and the greatness of his career. And we're celebrating the 72, 73, and 74 World Series teams. And he called all these games and did it nationally, too. The great Monty Moore is with us here on A's Cast Live. Monty, how are you? Hey, Chris, you just made my day. (laughs) Well, I mean, when I hear your voice, you just think of A's baseball. And the greatest time for this franchise, when they moved to Oakland, you called all these games. And there's only been only two franchises in the history of baseball to win three World Series in a row or more. It's the A's and the Yankees, and you called all these games. Yeah, and it was a, a great break for me to uh, to be asked by NBC uh, TV to do those with Kurt Gowdy and uh, Tony Kubek. And, uh, you know, I had uh, gone to University of Oklahoma and uh, Kurt Gowdy was at that time a sportscaster at KOMA in Oklahoma City. And he used to do the University of Oklahoma games. And I was a student on a student radio station doing the games on our little wireless station. So for me to get to work with uh, Kurt Gowdy on, on NBC TV was something special. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we don't have that now. And it, and, and it just seems like... You it would be great to have one of the local guys who knows the team to be a part of it. And for you to be on national television back then when you only had three options, I mean, you're getting extreme exposure for your career. Yeah, it's really fun. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you a quick story, Chris. Uh, on my first telecast on NBC, it was back in Oakland uh, against Cincinnati. We had been in Cincinnati and Kurt Gowdy and I had been rehearsing our opening uh, part of the telecast, and now it comes time for the thing to go in the air, and they're counting down. 
and they start counting down, you guys will be on the air in 10, 9, just like you did a few minutes ago. And on about 6, Kurt Gowdy reached over. I was sitting next to him, and he touched me on the knee. He said, okay, Monty, just relax and have a good game. There are only 30 million people watching. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, that is a great story. Because, yeah, I mean, the ratings back then for sports – you know, like I said, there, you know, you only got three options. There wasn't cable. I mean, everybody's watching. And he, even when, you know, think about, uh, I believe you did the Saturday game of the week too, correct? Yeah, I did. Uh, after the World Series, after I actually uh, left the A's and came down here to uh, uh, Porterville and bought the radio stations, uh, NBC called me up and asked me would I be interested in doing the Saturday afternoon uh, backup game for the game of the week. And I said, Absolutely. So uh, Maury Wills joined me, and he and I did it for one year, and then Wes Parker did it with me for two other years. Wow, you, you, you've had some you've had some partners that I mean, the names of the people you've worked with is unbelievable. Well, yeah, <laughs> on the A's broadcast alone, I, I can't tell you how many I've had, but uh, you know, oddly enough, Chris, four of the guys who worked for with me. Uh, on Oakland on Oakland A's broadcast are now Hall of Famers, and uh, uh, some of them were there not very long. Harry Carey was one; he was there for one year, and uh, of course John Miller was there for one year. When Charlie asked us to fire him, that was one of the worst mistakes he ever made. Uh, and Bob Elson worked there, you know, one year. So I've had I've, I've had the pleasure of working with some Hall of Famers on the Oakland A's broadcast. Well, we're celebrating these teams that are truly some of the best teams ever in our game. And you think about the teams that they beat when you start talking about the Big Red Machine and the Mets and then the Dodgers with that great infield and great starting pitching. What was it about this A's group that allowed them to take down the biggest? They were always underdogs. And they took down the biggest teams in the game. What was it about them that, that uh, allowed them to do that? Well, you know, Chris, those clubs were made up of a bunch of uh, uh, players who played together in the minor leagues, a lot of them, uh, under good management, like Johnny McNamara managed some of those guys before they got to the big leagues. And a lot of them had signed big contracts when they were maybe right out of college. But they played together for a few years in the minors before they got up to the big leagues. And when they got there, uh, they ended up with, I think, one of the best team captains in any sport. And I've done football, basketball, and everything with team captains. I think Sal Bando represented a, a team captain and what he could do to help a ball club better than any I've ever seen in any sport. Uh, you know, there were four years, Chris, when he played in over 150 games. And in two of the years, he played 162 games. And and for a guy to play every day, and the players looked up to him, you know, quite a bit. And in particular, Raleigh Fingers took, <laughs> got a lot of uh, talkings to when Sal would come over from third base and talk to Raleigh, who once in a while would forget things that were in the game plan. <laughs> you know, we recently talked to Sal Bando and Raleigh Fingers, and – I asked Sal what it meant to him that, to this day, if anybody refers to him, they refer to him as Captain Sal. And yeah. that, that, that's really special. It, it, it goes to your point of what he meant to the ball club. 
Yeah, and you know, when Alvin Dark was hired uh, by Charlie to take over in Oakland as manager for the second time, as a matter of fact, uh, he was also a manager in Kansas City for Charlie. But when Alvin Dark took over, he came uh, into the first uh, meeting down at spring training, I'm told, by some of the players who were there, uh, that uh, Alvin started saying some things, and and uh, the players let Alvin know that, hey, look, we learned how to play championship ball under Dick Williams, and Sal Bando is our captain. He'll take us through. Don't worry about it, Alvin. We'll carry you through. <laughs> yeah, that's something uh... – your good friend Ray Fossey tells us all the time about how he, when he showed up from Cleveland and next thing you know, Dick Green's telling him in spring training, oh, we're going to win the World Series. Don't don't, don't worry about it. And it's like <laughs> it, it's like crazy to think, but that was, that was how confident these guys were. Yeah, and, you know, looking back over the uh, three years that you're talking about, 72, 3, and 4, I uh, just checking my old scorebooks uh, recently when I heard I was going to be talking to you, and boy, they had a they had a lot of players, and it wasn't just the same one all the time. A lot of players made awfully big plays, very important plays in those three years in the World Series. And uh, of course, you're real well versed in in uh, most of the ones that we're talking about, I'm sure. But uh, those guys just the, the tougher the game, the better they were. And you had a budding star in Reggie Jackson. When did you know watching him, like, oh, God, this guy, this guy is amazing? First batting practice I ever saw him take. <laughs> <laughs> he, he lost a few batting practice balls over the screen in right field. Uh, but, you know, just looking at him, he was a solid athlete. He wasn't all that tall. Uh, he was very fast. But he was very, very strong. And, uh, I, you know, you just figured he played for a great college team and coach, Bobby Winkles at Arizona State, with Rick Monday. You know, we had both those guys and Bando. Those guys all played for Arizona State. And uh, Charlie signed them up in the free agent signing days uh, uh, when they got bonuses and so forth. Those guys all got pretty good bonuses. But... Uh, to see all the things that uh, that Reggie did uh, were absolutely tremendous. I, you know, and as just another one of the great players on those teams. You know, I I think about how lucky you are compared to what we have today. Because when you're throwing catfish and Holtzman and Vida and Blue Moon out there, you're not having three and a half hour games like we have now, where we have a starting pitcher go five or six and we have a bunch of relievers yeah. mixing you know, up. I mean, y y the games you were calling, those games went quick because you had that great starting pitching. Yeah, and and uh, it wasn't just one good one on, uh, on the pitching staff either. You know, you named Holtzman and, and Hunter. There's another one that we can mention that's the only guy I think had ever pitched in all seven games of the World Series. That was Daryl Knowles. Hmm. Uh, and and we played in the 1973 World Series uh, without Knowles, and uh, was it 73? I think it was that that Daryl got hurt uh, during the playoffs and didn't get to play in a World Series, the same World Series that Reggie didn't get to play in. But then the next year, Knowles pitched in all seven games of the World Series. Yeah, the, the 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 one thing that blows me away, and, and Fossey brings it up all the time, 
how they only used five pitchers in the 74 World Series against the Dodgers. I mean, yep. that's no one heard of. That will never happen again. Yeah, right. And uh, something happened in that World Series that uh, never happened again either. It was Catfish Hunter was called into a ball game in the fifth inning out of the bullpen. It was the only the he only in his whole career with the A's and in the big leagues he only pitched in relief in two games. One of them was in that World Series for one in, one part of an inning. Yeah, didn't he? Uh, he closed out one of the games in '72, didn't he? Didn't he against the Reds? I don't think I don't think he closed it out, but he 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 got into a game. I I don't recall exactly when when he got into him, but I remember against the Dodgers when he came in. We were talking about this is the only time he's in his life he's ever been in relief, and I know he talked about it in some of the interviews and so forth. Uh, so it didn't happen very often that we got to, got to see him come in and, and relieve anybody. You know, one thing these guys all talk about is a common enemy, and that's Charlie Finley. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Tough. As a broadcaster, what was it like to work for him? Well, you know, I got accused of, of uh, uh, listening to Charlie and having him tell me what to say all the time uh, when I was – you know, during the games and Charlie was there. I can honestly tell you, Chris, the only time he ever told me what to say on the air was be sure to plug cap day, helmet day, all the promotion days. And then once in a while, during a ball game, he would call up to our booth and tell us, hey, I just made a trade, and I want you to announce it. We would announce it, and the guys out in the bullpen always had transistor radios, and when I announced it, (laughs) That trade, you know, like a trade had been made during the game, those guys hadn't heard it. They heard it on the radio. Well, Charlie, you know, he he stayed after us to promote all the special events and uh, things like that. But he never he never really told me what to say about the team or anything like that. Yeah, you know, Raleigh Fingers was telling us he talked to him like. One time he negotiated a contract with him, and after that he got an agent and never spoke to him again. What was that, as, as kind of like a, on the outside looking in, what was it like watching the relationship? And obviously Charlie was in Chicago most of the time, but what was it like watching the relationship between the owner, he's the owner GM, with the players? Well, it was maybe unequaled in big league history. I don't know about Steinbrenner, some of those guys that were, you know, pretty well – known as, as tough owners but uh it was it was really bad between the two i'll tell you how bad it was reflected on me at one time after a, after a uh, world series and during the uh, negotiation period for the players in those days they negotiated every year well after the world series i was invited to take my wife and kids on a cruise with i think it's four or five of the ball players and uh, we were to provide a program every day on the ship. It was a cruise down to the Mexico area, and uh, we were the entertainment, and so we would show the film of the World Series and talk about it. Well, when Charlie heard that I had gone on that, and uh, during my, my vacation time, when Charlie heard that I had gone on that trip with the players, uh, close to the time they were negotiating with Charlie for money, he, that's the time that he called up Chuck Cottonero, who was the accountant, 
on uh, in, in the A's front office and told him to take me off the uh, health insurance and off the payroll. <laughs> I found out about it when I was in the hospital. When I got back from that cruise, I was in the hospital and had to have surgery on my back. And I found out that, that I didn't have any health insurance because Charlie had made them cancel it. He was so mad at me for going on that trip thinking that I would side with the players in his negotiations. Well, the story got out in the papers and everything that Charlie had fired me. Well, he didn't fire me. He just, he just took me off health insurance and, and wasn't going to pay me. So that's firing if you want to call it that. That's what it was. But when when it all got out in the public, Charlie called in the hospital and talked to me and said, hey, all this stuff about you being fired, you're not fired, you're my announcer. Well, that's that's just the way he, he was taking a little heat for it. I think a little bit more than a little bit of heat. But, but that's the kind of reaction he had with the players. It was almost animosity about everything. Yeah, I'll give you a little family story for me. I'm, I'm pretty sure you know who my grandfather was, uh, Bob Elliott, back in the days, longtime oh, yeah. baseman. And my grandfather gets hired to manage the A's in Kansas City in 1960. And as my grandfather is driving from San Diego to Kansas City with my grandmother, my mother, and my aunt when he arrives, Charlie had traded Roger Maris to the Yankees. They immediately got into a fight. And uh, after the year, my grandfather couldn't wait to get out of there and join the first Angels staff. So uh, I, I don't think there's I don't think anybody that came in contact with Charlie Finley didn't have one brush up at some point. Yeah, absolutely. But that that's uh, that's about the only time he cussed me out. He cussed me out after one of the World Series parades they had in uh, downtown Oakland. And the people who arranged a parade, they were it was going to end at a park there in Oakland. And all the players would get out of the cars and be introduced. Well, they had me in the last car in the parade. So when when it was all over, I'd go up to the stage and introduce the players. Well, the players got there well ahead of me. And Charlie had John Miller, my broadcast partner at that time, introduce some of the players as they came out. And then when I got there, all the players had been introduced already. But they asked me to say some things about the team. I forget what it was. But the day after the parade, Charlie had all the staff over at the Edgewater Hotel. And when I knocked on the door, he started yelling and cussing at me for not being there for the introduction of the players. I said, Charlie, I didn't have anything to do with where I was in the parade. They put me back in the parade. I mean, it was like he went crazy. And the whole staff was there and heard it. And, and every one of them was, you know, just kind of cringing. Yeah, wild times. Hey, Monty, thank you so much for coming on the program and talking about these great teams. Uh, truly one of the best eras in baseball history. And, you know, when we think of voices of the Oakland Athletics, uh, you're at the top of the list. So thank you so much for the time. Be well, and we'll talk to you once this season starts. All right, Chris, I'm glad you're in this uh, program. You're good for the team and good for the fans. Thank you so much. Be safe. See you later. Wow. Just listening to it. Incredible. He's 90 years old. 
Think about that. How good he sounds at 90 years old. I hope I sound that good when I'm 70 years old. Dude, I hope I live to 70. Are you kidding me? <laughs> My family genes, like, it's a 70, it's a win. Um, what a special man. And, and you're broadcasting those games in front of millions of people. I mean, what what a career. The man had an unbelievable career. What what a run, and he's such a gentleman, and to have him on is such a treat. And it even gets better here on Ace Cast Live, because coming up next, this man was a star with the Oakland Athletics. The great Vita Blue will join us here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. By the way, my hair is getting out of hand. Well, you took the you I, took the visor off at least. The visor made it look even even crazier. I mean, seriously, it's getting so long. Uh, mine is too. After letting it go for as long as I did, and getting all the ridicule from you and Dina, my fiance, and everyone else, I cut it. Now I'm like, why did I cut it? There, there was really no point in cutting it. No one's gonna, no one, no one see me but you. I was supposed to get my hair cut last week. It's gonna be. I mean, when we we come out of this. You're going to see some uh, – we're going to see who's coloring their hair and who's not. Because I already uh, know some ladies who uh, the gray is starting to show. I live with one of them. <laughs> not going to lie. I, I, I mean, my, uh, and I'm older. I'm, I'm a couple months older, but you don't see any gray in me yet. I barely have any. No, you don't. That's. I mean, remember, I, one of the greatest promos ever made on the, for this program was you and Billy talking about your hair on the field that one day. One of, probably one of the top moments of my broadcasting career. I have never dyed my hair. Never. I don't know why I haven't gone gotten grayer. I would be honest with you. I'm, I'm honest with everything. I would tell you if I dye my hair. Never dyed my hair. My brother's bald, and <laughs> what he does have is fully gray. But my brother's been bald since he was, like, in his 20s. I've got a full full head of hair. Do, do you want to hear a funny – do you want to hear something uh, funny? Remember how during the interview with Fosse, he brought up Howie Rose and how he joked with Howie saying how uh, Howie told him how he still missed the tag on Buddy and all that stuff? Yeah. Well, I talked to Howie Rose. Howie Rose is going to tape with us on Monday to talk about the 73 Mets and the current Mets because he's the play-by-play voice of the Mets. So we can talk to him about the Grom and the Polar Bear and all that stuff. But at the end of his text, he goes, tell Ray, he's, tell Ray hi for me. He's a great guy, even if he missed a tag on Buddy. <laughs> These people don't let it go. Yeah, I no. Mean, <laughs> you just heard the promo, Don Sutton throwing at him in, a, in an old-timers game. That's crazy. We're, I mean, some of these guys. We're going to get Sutton on, too. Fossey actually gave me Sutton's number when I talked to him about how we were doing the Wayback Series. We're going to have, yeah. you know, the swing and ace. He gave me Sutton's number. He goes, he'll, he'll be glad to do it with you guys. I'm like, we got first question we got to ask him about throwing, throwing the ball over Fossey's head in yeah. 87. <laughs> oh, he was a, you know, he's, he's been a great broadcaster. So Friday night at 8 o'clock – on NBC California, game two of the 1972 World Series. Now, here on Ace Cast, we're going to have the Legendary Moments pregame show brought to you by Budweiser. That'll be from 7 to 8. So you come to Ace Cast from 7 to 8. Well, we'll be doing our show 1 to 4, and then we'll do this pregame show from 7 to 8. Then you go to television and you watch game two Saturday night. And by the way, I'll be doing that with Ken Korak. And then Saturday night's going to be game four of the 1972 World Series. And we will have the legendary moments pregame show from 730 to 8 here on Ace Cast. Then you go on to television. 
or if you're going to stream it, however you're going to watch it, and you'll watch game four of the 1972 World Series. But Ken and I will be on before every single game. All righty. Vita Blue. He's a legend. We love him. He's such a great man. Here's my conversation with the left-hander. It is always an honor to have a man on who won three World Series championships with the Athletics. He was a six-time All-Star. He was the American League MVP, American League Cy Young Award winner, American League ERA leader. He's pitched a no-hitter. He's in the A's Hall of Fame. He's in the San Francisco Giants Wall of Fame. He's one of the great Bay Area athletes of all time. The legend Vida Blue joins us here. Vida, you know it's always great when we have you on here on A's Cast Live. No, man, you're my you're one of my favorites, Chris. Thanks for always being a professional guy, man, and I appreciate that about you. Uh, it's always fun we can come on and talk sports and uh, talk life in some cases too, you know. So uh, here we go, man. But uh, hey, man, thanks for the intro. I I had a great run during my time as a big league player. Uh, I was an avid football player, but I never thought my wildest dream I would be a major league baseball player. But, uh, you know, uh, we've, we've been sitting around during this unprecedented time of our lives this this last month or so. And I've been watching a lot of TV. I even saw a movie the other day with about it was the Jackie Robinson story where he played himself. And, uh, and of course, I sat up on my couch there to see. But it was the same stuff where the bigotry and the prejudice and all that stuff played into the movie but uh i also heard from one from an old veteran long time ago you know how we are in baseball we baseball folklore is is rampant and, and it's good as it gets so the story goes that jackie when he first started playing i'm not sure what city he was in but guy kept heckling him as he'd come and go back to and from the field back to the dugout so he find the guy was all over one time so he's coming back off the field and he finally stops that sir are you an American? The guy said, yes, I am. He said, well, shut up, sit down, and act like one did. <laughs> now, I don't know how true that is, but that's what one of those, one of those vets. I'm not sure if he was – might have even been Mr. Buck O'Neill, who, who who was good at telling stories about Satchel Page and the Negro Leagues and, and the history of baseball from the, from the black perspective. But uh, anyway, I, I've been watching a lot of TV, and as I mentioned to you earlier, my – my uh, Domino's game has gotten exposed playing against the phone, which is a all-time professional. It, it just it counters every move that I make. So I've gotten beat, you know, handily and one-sidedly the last week since I've been playing. But uh, it's just great to be home and having some uh, some perspective on life and and some of this stuff will will bring it to the forefront. But uh, I want to reach out to all the folks out there, that, you know, food service at these ballparks who are. You know, a lot of this is the big part of their livelihood. So I, my heart goes out to those folks who are not having that revenue coming in. Uh, it, it goes out to everybody. This is an epic time in our lives, and uh, we've got to sit out and figure this thing out. Uh, you know, th- this this could happen again. But on the bright side, uh, I do miss baseball at this point. I, I miss basketball. I miss sports in general. This first time, sports has had to shut itself down. So, uh Normally, you could always turn to sports. You know, 9-11, they, guys got back on the field. Uh, Bush, 42, went out, went to New York throughout the first pitch. And I think it was something that was well needed. And uh, sports saved the day for us. But this time around, uh, they sports is shut down, too. So we're all in this thing together. But we'll get through it. Speaking of the Negro League Museum, two years ago, when I was with the Raiders in Kansas City, 
I went to the museum and I'll never forget this because, you know, my grandfather was Bob Elliott, who was the first third baseman ever in major league uh, to win the MVP in major league baseball in 1947. And Jackie Robinson grounded out to my grandfather in his very first at bat. So I knew that. No way. Oh yeah. I knew that was going to be mentioned, but I will never forget being in the Negro league museum. And I hear these two voices narrating this video and, and and I'm like, that's Vita Blue and Marty Lurie. And I'm looking around, I'm like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I, I look and I see this screen and, and, and I'm like, oh my God. And I remember texting uh, Marty Lurie going, I'm listening to you, right? And I mean, that's pretty cool. When I went in there and saw, saw the video that you guys narrate, that's something pretty uh-huh. special. Thank you very much. I've been to that museum, Mr. Kendrick's back there. I, I'm sorry, Kendrick's, it's Hendricks, I think it is. He's running it now, but, uh, it was a it was an honor for me to get to go to visit that place. Uh, I don't know if I told you that Mr. Buck O'Neill was one of the first African American scouts. He think he was working for the Cubs, and he scouted me when I was in high school. And uh, he says he was coming to see me, but I had played with a guy named Jesse Hudson, who was also a left-handed pitcher. Had a curveball like Bert Blylevin or Rudy May or Jim Palmer, right over the top. And he got drafted by the Mets the same year. I got drafted by the A's, but Unfortunately for Jesse, they had a guy named Nolan Ryan, Greg uh, Swan, uh, Kuzman, and Tom Seaver on that pitching staff. So, unfortunately, his career was cut short because he couldn't make the he couldn't make the team. Man, the Yankees, uh, not Yankees, excuse me, the Mets were loaded with pitching at that time, and of course they had a guy named Tug McGraw coming out of the bullpen at that time. But uh, Mr. O'Neill said he came down to. Uh, scout me, but I got a funny so he might have been coming to see both of us. But uh, my friend's name is Jesse Hudson. I see him when I go back to Mansfield, Louisiana, every now and then. But uh, he's doing well. But uh, that's the tale of the two uh, lefties out of Mansfield, Louisiana. But uh, I've had a good run, my friend. And uh, uh, you know, somebody was telling me that I was a one pitch pitcher, and I was. I'm like, I really was. I just threw a four seam fastball in my first four or five years. In the big leagues, and I, somebody, I don't know if it was Catfish or Blue Moon, or maybe both of them, somebody was telling me, hey, man, you got to come up with a new pitch. You got So I started throwing a two-seamer, and I mixed in a change-up every now and then. And that's what got me through, to tell you the truth. But uh, it's not easy being a one-pitch pitcher, but it worked for me, and I started using that two-seamer, and it made my life look just a little easier, Chris, to tell you the truth. Well, I mean, you mentioned those names and the guys that you, your rotation, Kenny Holtzman won so many games, so many big games. Catfish is a Hall of Famer. I I, I, I know I'm biased because I love you so much. I think you should be a Hall of Famer. Uh, Blue Moon, I mean, just talk about that staff. You guys won three straight World Series and you did it because of your starting pitching. Yeah, the, the pitching usually is the, the, uh, the part of the game that takes you the farthest. Uh, you can have three guys with 40 home runs, but if you can't stop your opponent from scoring, it's all for naught. But, you know, Chris, I was 22, 23, and 24 years old, uh, 72, 3, and 4, and uh, I didn't appreciate what we had accomplished. Uh, plus, I was battling with Mr. Finley all the time about contract stuff every year. And uh, I'm a, this is a true story. I didn't go to not one of the parades, not one parade in Oakland. You watch footage, you don't see me. None of those footages, none of that footage, none of that footage 
coming down, I think it was Broadway in Oakland, uh, Broadway Telegraph. But anyway, I regret not doing that, man. And I, I cheated myself to be there and join up with my teammates because we, it was something special that we had accomplished. And, um, uh, but you can't get that back, but you know, you move forward with your life. But, uh, it was a, it was a wonderful time for me. Like I said, three years in a row, 22 and 23 and 24 years old. And you're thinking, man, it's going to be like this all the time. You get a good taste in your mouth from success, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I think about you being a small town kid and next thing you know, in 1971, you're 21 years old and you become a rock star. I mean, you're on like yeah. the, you're in the, you're on the major magazines. Everybody knows who you are. What was that like? getting that kind of success and being so popular and being a star in America at 21 years old? Well, the small town boy, it kept me grounded being from a small town, I think. And uh, uh, the success didn't go to my head, but the exposure that, that I was getting uh, on the cover, as you mentioned, Look, Life, Time, Newsweek, ASI, uh, Sports Digest, and all this other stuff. Uh, on the Mer- uh, not Mer- I was on the Dick Cabot show. Uh, I got to play an All Star game against Willie Mays. Man, I pitched to Willie Mays in 1971 doing the All Star game. So I had a good run for about five years because you know winning the championship those first three years and winning uh, 20 games, a couple years in a row, and winning the Cy Young and MVP in '71. It, it was it was a heck of a run, my friend, and. Uh, uh, I look back at it today, and I do appreciate every minute of being a big league player because uh, had I made it, not made it, people ask me all the time, what would I have done had I not been a big league baseball player? I don't know, a fireman, hell, I don't know. I don't have a clue. It was destined to for me to be a major league player, and uh, hopefully I've, I made a, and opened a lot of doors for other folks along the way, and uh, I put Mansfield, Louisiana on the map, and I'm very proud of the little town that I grew up in, my friend. Well, let's be honest. There was uh, quite a few college football teams that wanted you. If you didn't play baseball, you might have been a left-handed quarterback in the NFL. Well, I was a big Ken Saban fan, I can tell you that. But uh, my true idol, I went to be Johnny Unitas. He was the man back in the day with the Baltimore coach with those high tops and uh, wearing number 19. Uh, I might, I thought I was a better football player than baseball player, Chris, but they make them big and fast these days. So I, I don't know if I would have played 17 years of football like I did as a major league baseball player. And uh, I still have my wits about myself. Some people think I'm, I have concussion from being a baseball player, but it's, it's a old crazy joke that some of my friends accuse me of being forgetful. And uh, when you're 70 years old, I don't say I'm forgetful. I just say, I can't remember stuff. That's how I defend my honor when I at my age right now. So, uh, Hey, man, I, I had a good run, like I said, Chris, but uh, football was my first love, but uh, I ended up being a baseball player, and I'm glad for every minute of being a, a major league baseball player. Well, starting on Friday, we're going to start airing on NBC Sports California the 1972 World Series. It's going to be game two, and when you think back to the Cincinnati Reds, this is the start of the big red machine. They're the favorites and you end up beating them. People didn't understand how great your team was. They didn't know the run you were going to go and the dy- the run you were going to go on and the dynasty you guys were. What was it like looking back, taking on the Cincinnati Reds and beating the Reds? 
Well, like you mentioned, they were the clean-cut guys. We had long hair and mustache, and, of course, our owner versus their owner and our manager versus uh, uh, Sparky Anderson. They, I don't know if they used us as bullet, bulletin board material, but pitching, 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 and we out-pitched them and out-played them. Uh, you know, we just played solid. Matter of fact, uh, uh, was Reggie wasn't even on that squad at that time. He got hurt, injured in Detroit. That play at home played with running into uh, Bill Freehand. So we did a good job of pitching. Uh, unfortunately, I had two bad outings, and uh, uh, but we we prevailed and we pulled through it. But uh, they, they not they, the uh, the Reds were a great team at that time. Chris, as you mentioned, with Hall of Famers bench, I'm gonna say Pete Rose too, and uh, Perez now, and uh, and of course Joe Morgan. But uh, we we handled our pitching. I pitched them, so you know. We knew if, if we scored, we could defend, and that, that's what our team was solid with, good defense, and pitch, it starts with pitching. That That is the truest form of defense that you can have. Well, and then I think of your next two World Series, and they got Hall of Famers too. I mean, Willie Mays was on there in 1973. Of course, the great Tom Seaver. It's always funny to look back. Yogi Berra was the manager. You guys ended up beating the Mets, and then the next year after that, to make it three in a row, you beat a really <laughs> good Dodger team. I mean, you went through some really good teams. Yeah, you're, you're right. I think the Mets might have matched up the best with us with their pitching and our pitching but uh uh hey man I, again all the players were so young i'm not sure if we realized how solid we were we weren't the best team but we played the best ball at the right time and that's always the key to success of winning right you know if you're playing good in april and may that, that that's a good thing too but it's always september and obviously in october when you need to be playing your best baseball and we just happen to have that run of five divisions in a row and uh three championships mixed in between that. So uh, I'm very proud to be a part of that, that group of players that won those three and won those five division of titles. Yeah, you know, Vita, when I talked to all of you guys, we, we did the Captain Sal Bando. We talked to Raleigh Fingers, uh, the Hall of Famer. Every single Wednesday, we speak with our, our buddy Ray Fossey. He comes on my show, and we just talk baseball. And, 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 the, and the one thing is everybody mentions the common enemy, which is Charlie Finley, and you had your battles <laughs> with him. And, and just the stories are so crazy. Like, it's stuff that would never happen today. This, this crazy guy who had some brilliant ideas, who built this team, he owned the team, he ran the team, he was the GM, and he did it from Chicago, and he listened to the kids <laughs> by phone. I mean, the stories are just insane. Well, I uh... – I'm, I don't speak very ill of the dead, but I, I, I tell people that I think Mr. Finley was a combination of Al Davis, George Steinbrenner, Ted Turner, and Donald Trump all into one. And he was that type of person. You never knew what you were going to get on any given day, but he put together a great ball club and we won games and we won championships. So you got to give the man credit. You got to give him credit for the color coding of the uniforms with the gold uniform, a uh, gold tops and the green top and the white on white on Sundays, uh, the wedding gown white, as he used to call it. But uh, the guy was something special and he was our, the most common enemy, enemy that most of us had because of his issues when it came to dealing with money and contracts. But uh, Hey man, he put the best players on the field that, that played together and, uh, we had that success, and uh, you, you still got to give him credit for putting those teams together. Let's end on this, because I was telling you before we did this interview how my wife has a picture <laughs> with you 
as a little girl <laughs> when you were a San Francisco Giant. Just really how blessed were you, not only what you did in Oakland, but also you were an all-star with the San Francisco Giants, and you really got to play the majority of your career here in the Bay Area. I was so lucky in that regard, Chris, to stay in the Bay Area. Uh, and, uh, you know, funny thing, I, I had a couple of years in San Francisco, and I still lived in Oakland and Alameda at that time. And the year I was going to move and buy a place over on, on the in the West Bay, I got traded to Kansas City. I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't buy that condo or buy that house. But uh, I had a good run locally here in the Bay Area. And, uh, hey, man, uh, they're A's fans, they're Giants fans, and they're, uh, there's a ton of Vital Blue fans. I'm so lucky to still be here in the Bay Area. And uh, thank you for reaching out. Hope hope your wife still has that photograph. Ask if. When I when you ask her if I had hair and a mustache because uh, I did grow my mustache as I got older, it would have been like nineteen eighty or nineteen eighty one. Did you have the mustache at that point? I think I did, and and what was what was then an afro, which is now a clean shaven head. <laughs> <laughs> Vida, it, it is always, you know, when we were on the field last season and we had you and Blue Moon on at the same time, it was magical. And what you did in the Bay Area, you, you're one of the greatest Bay Area athletes of all time. And it's always an honor to have you on. And it's going to be great that you get to watch this and you get to see you and your teammates win 1972, 73, 74, as we're going to be airing these games on NBC California. Be safe, be well, and hopefully we'll talk to you uh, when this season gets going. Thank you, Chris, so much. Thanks for having me on, man, and go A's. Wow. I mean, you need to look it up about what a star he was early in his career. Absolute star. You know, we don't have a lot of magazine, a lot of magazines today, but back then everybody got magazines. When you're on life and time and sports illustrated, he was an absolute star and he's a great man. And, uh, I, I gotta say, Cody, you're on your a game, man. I think this was, uh, I think we've done a lot of good shows, but I think, uh, and this might be recency uh, biased. There you go. Recency biased. I, I, think, I, I think this is one of the best shows we've done. Well, I appreciate that. It, it wasn't without hard work from me and other members of the organization helping to get put this together for the way back and all that. So I appreciate everyone's hard work with that, including yourself, because you're doing this. You're doing all the pregames with Ken Korak. So. But look, looking at the people we had today, the guests we had Monday with Raleigh and Sal Bando and, you know, the guys we're going to have Friday, we're going to have Gene Tennis. We're, we, we already talked to Joe Rudy. Uh, Howie Rose is going to be on next week. We're looking at uh, – I'm still trying to – I've connected with him. He said he would do it. I'm, we're going to have Reggie Jackson at some point. Um, the stir, the straws – the stir – the straw that stirs a drink. Ah. I can, the straw that stirs a drink. I can never get it right, and I love that show that they did on. Really, hey, 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 hey. are you coming to New York to be a star? No, I'm bringing my star to New York. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love that. Like I mentioned before, the Bronx is Burning documentary that ESPN did was so good, and you know how much Billy Martin and Reggie went at it. It was good. Uh, we're gonna have probably Steve Vucinich on the you know long time oh. A's employee. And, uh, uh, I reached out to Don Sutton uh, while we were doing the interview with Vida because he works for the Braves, and we're going to be previewing the Braves next week. And he also is on the 74 Dodgers team. So a lot of uh, a lot of good things coming uh, coming up I mean, here. On... Names. Names. I mean, look, look, look. we had Ramon Laureano on today. 
We had Marty Lurie to talk about Jackie Robinson. I mean, this lineup that we had today. Dave Van Horn, the Hall of Famer. Dave Van Horn, Ford C. Frick Award winner, and talked a little bit about the Marlins, but the Marlins are bad, so we didn't go the deep dive. But we got him to talk about the A's and baseball and what's going on in Florida. And then the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey, longtime voice of the franchise, Monty Moore, and one of the greatest players in A's history, Vita Blue. I mean, you just don't get a better lineup than that. And that's what we're trying to do for you guys who are sitting at home in Northern California, and you need some entertainment and some fresh entertainment, and that's hopefully what we are able to do for you. What do we have coming on after we're done here? So on A's cast, if you remember, well, you should remember you were, um, you were part of this broadcast. The A's and Tigers in Detroit that uh, gets suspended and finishes in Oakland with you on the play-by-play with Vince, and it finishes with Ken Korak on the play-by-play with Vince. So that's the game we're coming up on Ace Cast. And if you want to watch a game on TV tonight at eight o'clock, if anyone, everyone should remember this, on May fifteenth, twenty eighteen, A's at the Red Sox. Piscotty comes off the bereavement list after the passing of his mother, Gretchen, and he hits a home run in his first at bat. Um, that was a very emotional time for Steven and everything going on with, with the passing of his mother and the emotional salute. So that game is going to be on NBC Sports California tonight at 8. A's Tigers that started in Detroit and finished at Oakland in September is coming up next on A's Cast here at 4 o'clock. I cried. It was sad. It really was. I, I And remember, who are they playing again? Uh, the Red Sox. And remember the Red Sox came to – they gave him a standing ovation? Yeah, it was, a, it was a really touching, you know – I mean, Boston's been through a lot. They know, you know, with everything that's gone on for them the last how many years with the Boston bombings and all that stuff. So what happened with Gretchen passing and Steven coming off and in the home run the first at bat, that was awesome. You know, sad time for him, but it was awesome for him to, you know, do that for his mother and the salute. It, it was a great time and it was, a you know, who would have known back then that was going to be the start of a, a run for the A's back to the postseason and back-to-back 97-win seasons. Yeah, so we got good stuff all over the place for you. We got good stuff here on A's Cast. We got good stuff on NBC California. And then, of course, what we're going to be doing on Friday and Saturday. Once again, it's going to be Friday at 8 o'clock is going to be Game 2 of the 1972 World Series on NBC California. But before that, come here to A's Cast as we're going to have the legendary moments pregame show, Ken Korak and myself from 7 to 8. And then Saturday night, we got you covered again. Game four of the 1972 World Series between the A's and the Reds. And we will start the legendary moments pregame show here on A's cast at 730. And then first pitch will be at 8 o'clock on NBC Sports California. So you're just going to be going from A's cast to Comcast. Well, now Uh, NBC NBC Sports Sports. California. Still Comcast, but... Uh, also, if you're looking for another good guest, besides the, the former ace we have coming on, we're having another former A coming on with you and Ken, but he's also a Hall of Famer with the Big Red Machine, that be one Joe Morgan. So I've heard of him. I've heard of him. I heard he's from Oakland. I heard he's uh, he's in, he's uh, from the he's from the town. Two-time MVP Joe Morgan. Yeah, he he was a pretty good uh, ball player back in his day. Think about that. You're winning the MVP twice with all the great talent around you. Yeah, and only that, I remember Joe Morgan, obviously I was too young, but I remember Joe Morgan doing Sunday Night Baseball with John Miller. Like, that was the broadcast oh, team. He, oh, he, he would have retired before you were alive. Yeah, because he, he finished with the A's, right? And he was, he was in his 40s, so he would have been, yeah, I think he even finished while I was alive. 
I just remember him on Sunday Night Baseball and doing games, oh, yeah. calling games during the World Series with John and whenever Joe, you know, Joe Buck was on TV with uh, Tim McCarver calling World Series games. So I put him and John on the radio. I lived in Pennsylvania. I, uh, so. I, uh, I remember him as an Astro. I remember him, as, of course, as a Red, as a Giant. And then, of course, as an A. All right, that'll do it for A's Cast Live. We hope you enjoyed this epic show. Coming up next, it's the A's and the Red Sox, and we'll see you all on Friday from 1 to 4 right here on A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 